But thing is, you can control your thoughts and your actions. So if you don't want to be a sorry, sad bastard, like if you don't want to be suicidal, if you don't want to be depressed, like, man, it ain't going to be easy to reprogram yourself. But what an adventure. What an adventure. Yep. Because every human dude has gone through so many hard things in their life and they forget because they think it has to be what I've gone through or what you've gone through. But have you ever rode a bicycle? Did you ever have training yeah. wheels on your bicycle? How yeah. scary was that to take off those training wheels? And you did it. But we're like, oh, it's just a bicycle. It's the same thing, dude. Fear is fear. It does not discriminate what the what the, the what the catalyst is. Fear is fear. It's an emotion. It's a low state of emotion. And when you have fear, you don't push forward. Once you overcome fear, you're like, wait a second, I can do that. Now you ride bicycles all the time. Sea tide, Altera Zero Eyes, we're clear for takeoff, clear for the airspace. Five projector, close me, 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 he is a former Marsuk Bubba. We talk about his multiple combat deployments as a Marine, some of the mental issues that stem from his career with constant combat deployment and just being surrounded by violence, and then talk about his business and his entrepreneurial spirit and what it took to get to that point. Great conversation with Cody. I really enjoyed being able to hear him. I first remember the Sean Ryan show. That's a phenomenal five-plus-hour podcast. We talked for over two hours today. And he was kind enough to hang around for an extra There I Was story at the end. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Wherever you're listening, if you have the ability to leave a comment, rating, or review, specifically Spotify and Apple Podcasts, that helps the podcast get shown to more people. And if you're watching this over on YouTube, you can leave a like and a comment down below to spread the good word and help me create or keep creating this content. With all that being said, let's jump into the episode with Cody. Dude, Cody, thanks for joining me on the podcast, man. Honored to be able to chat with you and hear a little bit about your story, what you're doing, where you've been, and yeah, we'll just we'll just take it from here, man. So thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, dude. Hey, uh, let's jump into it. If you can give me the the sixty to ninety second kind of overview of like who you are, a little bit of what you've done, and then what you're doing today, and then we'll we'll jump into kind of a deep dive of you and who you are. Cool. Yeah, the that little reel is. I'm a retired Marine Raider and entrepreneur. Um, I served 15 and a half years in the Marine Corps, Scout Sniper, Force Reconnaissance Marine, and Marine Corps Raider. Um, youngest and fastest promoter, Master Sergeant in Marine Corps history, shot in the helmet at 18, overcome a lot of adversity. I uh, got out, retired in 2018, had no idea who I was, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be in life. So I took time to invest in myself and really dive deep. <clears throat> uh, during that time, started to share my message online, social media, just kind of like what I was going through, and uh, started a company called We Defy the Norm, where I basically share messages through the form of uh, digital art, uh, through apparel. And now I help uh, entrepreneurs and people in general overcome their own mental roadblocks to help them level up their lives. And right now I'm currently uh, investing a lot into the youth, uh, actually launching my uh, youth development uh, course starting January 2nd and uh, really have this calling to build back our youth and make it stronger. Dude, excited to see that. Cause I think I first saw you on the Sean Ryan show and just your temperament, your message that you put out for me, every, hearing everything you've done was pretty inspiring and it sounds like the transition, which I think for a lot of veterans, going from a very structured environment, 
paycheck on the 1st and the 15th of the month. You're not worried about medical. It's just like, hey, when's the next deployment? A lot of people struggle with figuring out, hey, what's next and what they're going to do, right? Like it's been Their whole entity is defined by this machine that you're a part of. And then you just leave. And you like to think you're special. Or I think a lot of people, I mean, you're like, hey, the, the machine needs me to churn, but it doesn't need you. It just keeps on churning, you know? So I actually kind of want to start there. What was that like for you, getting out of the military? Did you know what you were going to do? What was that transition period for you, man? Dude, I had no, <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea. Uh, so the cool thing about being part of SOCOM is we have, like, all this access to nonprofits and organizations that really want to help us become successful, uh, whether that's active duty or transitioning out. And I remember having this phone call, like this, this lady, I forgot what service she was from. She was from SOCOM entity, but she's like, Hey, we want to help you build your resumes. What are like seven jobs that you're interested in? And we'll build you seven resumes and we'll help you start like marketing towards that. I'm like, dude, I don't know. (laughs) And so like, I, she's like, well, just tell me something. I'm like, I have no idea because for the past, (laughs) I guess, previous, maybe like three years, my, my cognitive and mental health, cognitive performance and mental health was just like plummeting down. That's why I retired early in, uh, as, at 15 and a half years. And so that stress of loan of anything military like was like not healthy for me. And so I just needed to be gone. And so a lot of it was just excitement of like a new chapter. Uh, but I was absolutely terrified because I did not have this. If you had a gun to my head and said, you have to decide what you want to do, like I would be dead. I would not know. <laughs> and um, I remember being in Florida. I was going to uh, one of our, I was actually doing brain uh, brain treatment down in Florida. They're doing like this like test study. And I was uh, one of those select few who were able to do that uh, for traumatic brain injury and all this type of stuff. And I'm finishing up my college degree because I'm like, oh, I'm a special operator. I have to have my college degree. You know, I have to get out. I make six figures. And like all these like stigmas that kind of go around my organization or just the military in general. Right. And because I knew once I got out, I was not going to finish my degree at all. <laughs> and because um, I, I didn't care. I only did it because I felt obligated. And so my wife's like, hey, what do you want to do when you get done? I'm like, I don't know. And so she's like, if you had like six weeks left to live, what do you want to do? I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, travel around, take pictures. And she's like, okay, let's do that. So because of my yeah. wife, and she's just a gangster, that we we purchased our conversion van while I was still in Florida doing my brain, uh, brain treatment. We were able to find one, affordable. We, uh, she went to go pick it up, and I got back from Florida, and we just started to like downsize everything even more, sell, sell our belongings, and get this van ready to, to roll out because I... I knew I was, I was already on the medical board, my my retirement package, everything was already submitted. It was only a matter of time, but I didn't know how long it was because at this point, it's already been like a year and a half. So it was absolutely terrifying to not have that structure, the system or the, the financial support, you know, coming from the military. I was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And. It was hard, man. But I, I, I knew it was like a gift that I was like drilling on myself and cognitively like impaired because what I wanted to do post-military was do what everyone else in my job does. You go work for the three-letter agency, you make $1,000 a day, and you carry a gun, and you you repeat your comfort zone saga all over again because uh, it's what you're good at, and all your friends are there. So that's what I wanted to do, and I actually remember being outside of our headquarters building on Camp Lejeune, and uh, 
the uh, my phone rings and it was an old guy I used to work with. He was he was an aviation pilot and he was a he's a member at this organization for this agency. And he's like, hey, dude, I heard you're retiring, bro. I'd like to uh, fast track your packet. You know, get you get you on the stack. And I'm like, just woke up in my Ford Ranger. It was like this like beater truck that I bought because I sold my dream truck. Um, at this point, I literally sold everything. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm really really honored. This has been a dream of mine, but. I just woke up drooling on myself. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I don't think I can do that right now. And he's like, well, hey, just keep me posted. Let me know. And that really hurt because it was like this like vision I had for myself to continue to push the fight uh, because I enjoy those things. I enjoy kidding up. I enjoy being around dudes that are just like, I mean, there's something about like changing out batteries and an optic and, and putting crypto in a, in a radio and just like that silence, the calm before the storm. Like, you cannot... I have yet to have that experience as a civilian. Uh, take combat out of it. Just that energy of like, everyone's probably scared, but they're focused. Everyone is like, you know, doing their own little thing they have to do to mentally prepare what's about to be done. You know, what's, what, what's expected of them, demanded of them. And, um, and so I was like really looking forward to that like later in life, but that didn't happen for me. And I'm extremely glad because it set me on this uh, entirely new course that I never expected in my life. It was completely defying the norm of like what the norm was as expected of, you know, a guy from my career field or just a dude in general. I, I just think, you know, s you know, self-help and investing in yourself is not a very common conversation in an organization like that, let alone <laughs> the special operations community, let alone the military community. Yeah. And so... It, it was completely uncomfortable, and that discomfort kind of drove me even further into leaning into it uh, because I'm like, wait a second. I'm getting so much, like, resistance from everyone else, but to me, I feel so called to this. And I, I don't really know why, and what did you know? If you don't stop, seven years later, your whole life will be different, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Did I assume it wasn't a, a flip of the switch because, again, you're on this path. And like the career field I come from, like pretty much everyone goes a certain path, like once you leave the military, but to divert from that path, and especially when you wanted to go and keep doing that just with a different, you know, a different agency, did you, were you able to say, Hey, you know what? It's behind me now. I'm focusing on this. Like, do you miss it? How, Dude, how does that I, play? I remember first I was like, cause I got out of the military and I was like, I had this like victim mindset. I was, cause I, my identity was tied to the military. Everything was like attributed to there. And I just felt alone. I felt empty. I felt cheated. I, I was just hurt, all this type of stuff. And uh, I wanted nothing to do with a gun at all. Like nothing. Like I got rid of all my military. I just, I got, I just, just ended it all. I didn't want any part of it. <laughs> And then living in the van, I kept on feeling like there's this like missing part in my life. I'm like, I'm like, I kept on telling my wife, I'm like, dude, I don't feel like a man. Like, I feel like I have to like do like a like a rite of passage again. I feel like I need to like work towards something. And I remember we were driving to Texas. Uh, I just actually left a job in LA. It was my one and only job as a civilian. It was about exactly one year for being retired because I wanted to know I could do something besides just being in the military. What was that? So job? I took this job. I worked in the cannabis industry. I was a director of operations uh, in okay. LA, and it was a great experience. Uh, <laughs> but it was like not my cup of tea. Oh, Just so that, it's a, a different. I was like that had to be polar opposite of the world you came from. <sighs> well, the cool thing was uh, one of my Green Bray buddies that I worked with before on a previous deployment. He was actually the COO of this this uh, okay. entity, and so 
we had this like all the director staff was all special operations guys. So like we like shadow government ran this this business, but it was also ran by, you know, typical LA 21-year-old gazillionaires um, that care zero about people. They just care about the money and the profit and it really trickled onto the environment. So like I really found myself working as like an HR rep there, and I really enjoyed that. We're oddly enough, right? I like to to inspire people to like believe in themselves <laughs> and not get beat up uh, mentally. And so I remember driving from California uh, back to Texas. We're gonna go help my mom uh, with her house, and I told my wife, I'm like, man, I feel like I need to do this thing. I feel like I need to go train for something. I, I, I think I'm I'm better now. I think I'm gonna I think I should, should go try out for this this unit. She's like, well, if you're gonna do it, you better do it now. And I'm like, okay. So I contact my buddy. I get the uh, the contract. I get the form to fill out. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Because I looked at all these other guys, all these like other influential like military, you know, social media influencers, and I'm like, man, they're shooting or they're at a conventions. I'm like, man, I can do that. I'm good at that stuff. Like, I miss that stuff. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I, I'm only emotionally thinking about this. I haven't like pondered it for you know a year up to this point. I just feel empty now because I'm transitioning from another job. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, stop being psychotic. And so I just continue to stay on this path of like, all right, I'm gonna bet on me, whatever that means. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Um, so I do miss that that camaraderie, that fellowship. But I've been finding that in new ways now in my current life through like hunting and like, you know, good friends that like we align towards bigger goals. Uh, because I remember, I'm so glad I didn't, I didn't go to that organization because some shitty leaders that I had in the military, they're senior guys at that place now. And I remember, I remember uh, how they treated the dudes. And to think that I'm only gonna go there for money, generally money, right? Right. Um, and have one of them be my boss again. Like, it just didn't make sense. It's just like, you know, it's like when I was retiring, there was a guy I was going to the brain clinic with. He's like, oh man, I'm so done with this, blah, 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 blah. Well, before he, he like was on terminal leave and he had a polo shirt on for the Marsoc compound, he was already a contractor for Marsoc. I'm like, what do you do? You just, you just told me how <laughs> miserable you were, bro. And you're gonna go back to the government job because they get you because it's that security, you know, and like, it's just like, like stay in your comfort zone, but like, why would you work in the same building around the same idiots that caused you so much stress? Like, it doesn't make sense. And then I talked to all the civilians, you know, at that job and they're just like miserable because it's a government contract job. They don't know if their contract's gonna get renewed. They're, it's just like, when are you gonna like bet on something else, bro? Because, yeah. like, you, you've been here for 20-plus years now, and you haven't really seen any drastic change. It's the same story on repeat, just a different face with a, in, a, in a uniform. Like, when are you going to wake up? So I, I'm glad I, I never, ever pursued that. But then I just turned that, like, desire to want to create that camaraderie towards, like, my own standard of, like, who I want to associate myself with and, and really, like, limit my circle and make it smaller and, and focus more on, on those things that enhance my life, not make me like upset and angry and you know anything like that so you might you probably have encapsulated this in some way i just haven't heard you say it uh out there because what i think you've done really well 
that not a lot of people like struggle with. Even me, right? Like the the place you come from is like the warm blankie, right? And it's known quantity as you've alluded to, but to be able to pivot and step out into something completely different and ignore like you know, there's a sunk cost fallacy that people argue about, but to be able to say, no, I'm just pivoting. I'm I'm more or less putting in the review mirror, and I don't know. You know, and probably everyone's different and it depends. It takes a while to figure that out and what that path is going to be. But you have seemed to figure that out and just, I'm, hey, it was great. Cha- it was great chapters of your life, I'm sure. Good and bad. But you're on this whole new path. Have you like figured out a way to encapsulate that? Or it's just like, go out and do it. Believe in yourself and bet on yourself, as you said. I'm actually making a course right now for that, for transition <laughs> people. But, but, you know, for me, like, to, to be able to pivot like that is like, I, I truly believe, you know, there's this higher calling for each and every one of us. And when you're so conflicted, when you're, when you're stressed and, you, and you're full of toxins and contaminants and you, you're in a crappy work environment, a shitty relationship, you don't have any form of clarity to think clearly. You've only become a master in chaos. Once you remove yourself from chaos, you are an infant in abundance, you're an infant in reality. And now you have to start all the way over. And so when you change your practices on like how you show up for yourself, you begin to, everything starts to change differently. And, th- and this vision that I have for myself started when I was on my buddy's couch, uh, when I was still active duty and I'm like drooling on myself and my wife looks over at me and she's like, what the fuck is going on with you? I'm like, I'm like, and I'm like, I was taking all these pills that I had and, and th- you know, like one was like an antidepressant and the rest were like all uppers. They were all like Adderall, Provigil and Dextedrin, Dextedrin. Yeah. And, uh, because they thought I was narcoleptic at the time, but my brain was, my body was so just, just, uh, full of one toxins and stress, but my brain was just so overworked. Like my body was shutting down. And so I was, you know, I'm drinking like three energy drinks. I'm, I'm four cups of coffee a day. Like I straight up went to my medical officer. I'm like, bro, get me something that's going to keep me up. Or I'm going to go do meth. Like I was that serious yeah. about like trying to function because I had nothing. I was falling off my motorcycles. I was getting lost in my own house. I'd end up down, driving down the street, not knowing how the hell I got there. I just started crying on the side of the road. Like what is happening to me? I'm late to everything. Being an E8 in the Marine Corps, especially a special operations unit, and you're late to literally everything, like that's not a good face. Like that's, I basically what was happening is my my 15 year career, I was at a tipping point where I was getting ready to throw it all away. I was I was one accident away from killing somebody or myself, you know, like unintentionally, right? I was I was yeah. one accident away from like blowing up. I was having uncontrollable adrenaline surges at, in my compound at this time. I'm gonna I'm not an instructor. I'm a one of the senior listed advisors for like half the, the our schoolhouse, our pipeline for Marsock Marines, and. Um, I remember like just walking in the hallway and like someone would rub me the wrong way, dude. And I would just lose my mind. And to the point where I even like canceled my free fall pay and my free fall status, because I would just be walking and I just go straight into the red for no apparent reason. And then I would just come down crashing and I had to go lay down because my body just dumped everything. And I didn't want that to happen on the ramp, getting ready to jump out of aircraft and not be able to manipulate my, 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 my rig, you know, jeopardize someone else. Like I, these are like a lot of hard conversations I had to have with myself too. Cause like, who the hell, that's my pay, bro. Like for, for 12 plus years, like my livelihood comes from all my pro pays. And if y'all are listening now, like the military does not 
take that into consideration for your retirement. So my way of living for 12 plus years with a pro pay status, my jump pay, my dive pay, my special duty assignment pay, like that never gets factored in. So to to willingly stop that status, I was that desperate. And so diving, I left open because I was only doing my certification dives. At this point, I had a dive buddy. I felt kind of confident in that aspect. Um, and it was much shorter than like an all-day free fall yeah. festival. Um, so I, I kind of weighed those options too. But I was to the point where my actions were jeopardizing everything that I've done prior to this. And when I say everything I've done, I mean everything that everyone has ever believed in me and invested into me and held me accountable and, and corrected me and, and, and saved me and guided me. I was throwing away everything all these people ever did for me. And it was, it was so sad. And I was just that desperate for help and nobody was listening. And so, uh, back to this couch, my wife's looking at all these pills that I'm taking and she starts to research. And I know that seems like, well, duh, why wouldn't you research? Nobody researches anything. Half the people don't even know what's underneath their kitchen sink. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're like, oh, it says it's, it's got a pretty packaging. It's got to be healthy. It's causing cancer for your children. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know until you actually do the research. It's not a common thing. So my wife picks up her phone. She starts researching it. At this time, she was never into all that stuff. Now, I mean, that chick spends thousands of hours researching everything she's interested in, everything we consume, or we, we put like a product that we use. And she's like, oh my God, this thing's causing cancer, depression, blah, 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 blah. She like lists it off. I'm like, screw that. And I, th- I instantly cold turkey that night. And that's when okay. we got into, um, and that sucked. That, that withdrawal sucked <laughs> really bad, <laughs> really bad. Cause I was like an active, I was an addict, you know, like, yeah. uh, I, I don't. I wasn't even abusing. They gave me enough, which my dosage was abusing. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. going over it, and that's the crazy thing. And the even crazier part about this, bro, is that the the doctor that I was going to, he's like, "Oh, this is not working. Let's add." He wanted to add Ritalin onto my stack. I'm like, "Bro, I'm a professional military athlete, and I'm fucking retarded right now." And he's yeah. like, "Well, you need to add this." I'm like, as I walked into his shop, and he's got a Mercedes outside, you know, like a fucking G wagon. I'm like. And that's when I found out like how prescriptions and medications work, right? They get cuts, same with shots. Like it's all kicked back because it's the thing. And when you really think about it, the F, I was thinking about this today at work. It's the FDA, the drug administration. It's a drug. <laughs> Everything you're taking is a drug. They were like, no, it's not awesome. But anyways, and so once I started to, once I kicked the pills, my wife started researching more and that's when we started to understand like how fluoride works and the, and the contaminants in the water and heavy metals and how heavy metals can affect, uh, especially have a bunch of traumatic brain injuries and a, and a breach blood brain barrier. Those toxins and contaminants can hit your brain. Now you're causing inflammation. Now you, you're, you're causing early onsets of Alzheimer's and dementia. Well, I had like no memory recall. I went from a very you know Jeez. vocal speaker to like, just honestly, they're like, that guy is like the top dog. You know, it was, I was showing a lot of telltale signs. I mean, I look back at my old uh, work calendars. My writing was actually pretty damn good. And now after I call it like my stroke, my, 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 my emotional stroke, dude, like I write like a doctor now. It's gotten better because I've been practicing over the years, but I went from like That's straight, true. like normal writing to like straight, I'm a doctor straight out of school. <laughs> like it was like straight, yeah. like chicken scratch. <laughs> and um, so really changing all these different things like we used to laugh i used to laugh at like organic anything or purified water i thought was straight for losers and because i didn't know because why <laughs> why would i go do that when i can go pay seven bucks for two burgers and yeah. a drink 
That's $7. Why would I pay $7 for a fucking avocado? Right? Why yeah. would I do that? And so I just didn't know any different. And we started going down this lane. I'm like, oh my God, I've been poisoning myself for years, you know, loading ammunition, putting a dip in, uh, throwing flash flashbangs, eating my burger, like oh, just yeah. dumb shit you don't even think about. Why would you? Yeah. You know, I'm cleaning my, my weapon in the armory. There's no rubber gloves like they're supposed to be. And you're just getting the solid on your hand. And, you know, it only takes a split second for that to enter your bloodstream, right? But we think, oh, it's just on my skin and I wiped it off. But no, once it hits your blood burn. stream, yeah, you're going to absorb it, dude. It's crazy. And it was kind of scary. So we, we really shifted everything from our water to we, I went vegan for a bit. Um, like I didn't eat any meat. I found out what they b put inside like, like low quality meat and like very affordable grocery stores or, or like, um, the half price grocery stores. Like it looks pretty because it's injected with all sorts of crazy stuff. And that's when I started to like awaken up, wake up a bit and got into this uh, heavy metal detox to really help. I mean, dude, my migraines went away. I had face paralysis with a ringing in my ears. So like once all these signs and symptoms like started to subside, I've gained more clarity in like, damn, what am I, what have I been doing? And so, you know, not only am I kind of like lost, I don't know who I am or what I want to do when I'm out of the military, but I have this other kind of mission of like, I have to relearn how to do things. Like I used to dip all the time. Now I'm living in a van. I'm used to driving, you know, in the military or being in a vehicle for a long time. I dip out of boredom, right? So what, what can I do now differently? Okay, I'll do sunflower seeds or I'll just don't do anything. I, that's okay. That's an option. And, and yeah. really con constricting ourselves. So being in a van was this like really cool thing. One, we couldn't have that much food. So therefore, we, we had a lot of fresh things. We had a very small refrigerator. So we were constantly going back to the grocery store, which allowed us to really kind of only get what we needed and not have to have those like, you know, the shelf life. I'm hungry. Two weeks from now, I needed that snack. And right. It was completely uncomfortable for me, and I was miserable the entire time because it was something new. When I had the option to eat the Cheetos, when I had the <laughs> option to drink the Coke, my wife's like, mm, you should totally have this instead. I'm like, but this is stupid. I'm an adult. And uh, yeah. during this whole time, too, I had this, like, really entitled uh, entitled uh, mindset about myself. Like, dude, fucking you owe me, bro. Like, this fucking country owes me. Like, I remember uh, my very first, uh, we, we hit Salt Lake, or we hit, like, uh, Utah. I think it was, like, heading towards Salt Lake City. I was going to go see a friend. And I forget exactly, it'll come to me, but I forget where we stopped at, but we, or what city, but we stopped at this Walmart. It was my first Walmart experience. And I remember I'm, I'm sitting in there having dinner with my wife because we would boondock at the Walmarts because there's a bathroom inside and there was no bathroom in my van. And it just made it easier. And so I remember getting my door just banged on. So I'm sitting out by the window and I'm eating food and I see like through the crack of my window, like a cop car drive by. And instantly I'm already like contemplating like the worst case scenario. I haven't done anything, but like I'm in the red constantly, you know? Yeah, and right. five minutes later I get this like big bang on my van door. And it's like, I'm like, I open it up and my dogs are going crazy because someone banged on my door. I crack the window and it's fucking cop with his hand on his gun. And I close it, right? I do exactly what I shouldn't have done. I should have maintained sight and visibility. <laughs> but I close it. I'm like, and I'm like, get that shit out of here, you know, because I was even drinking beer in my van and because it was an RV. So, like, we could technically do it, right? We labeled it yeah. as an RV. But anyways, but I'm just like, I already have this guilty, like, fight or flight, death by cop mindset happening.
because uh, I had yeah. this same mindset right before I got out of the military. Uh, very aggressive, very in the red. And I open up and there's literally an L shape of like officers and there's like three cop cars and they're all L-shaped out me. And I open the door, I'm like, nice fucking L-shape. Like I'm just a dickhead. And I was instantly, I felt like I was being aggressed. You know, I felt very, felt um, uh, very vulnerable in the situation. I'm like, oh my, I need to make a decision. And long story short, it was a mishap. They, there was a van reported stolen that fit my description, which is completely absurd because I had a big sticker on the side of my van. And I was a dick and I rudely informed them, really, did it have a stupid sticker like this on it? You know, like, but yeah, right. it was just part of this process, man. And so now on top of that, I'm lost. I don't know what I do with my life, but now I'm focusing and applying myself towards this new healthy style of living and experiencing things as well as managing my freaking emotions and not being so emotionally controlled. So I have my whole plate full. So you know, not knowing what I wanted to do. Well, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just didn't know it at the time. What I wanted to do was just be a better person because I was yeah. just, I was just dark. And so I made these, these, these things that I was becoming more aware of my missions to like, how can I control my emotions better? How can I not be a dick? How can I not be in the red all the time? Because that alone is stressful. You know, I got tired of like constantly looking on my shoulders or, you know, I didn't bring a weapon system into my van because we were going to go into Canada and all these things and I want to deal with it. That gave me anxiety. But I fuck, I had like tomahawks and hatchets and knives and 12 flashlights and chem lights and first aid bags. Like it was a gun truck basically without the guns. Yeah. And I got tired of living that way <laughs> because it was out of straight fear. That's all it was. Fear. And I was completely uncomfortable. So people like, oh man, living in the van must've been so cool. Instagram makes it look so good. I'm like, dude, I was fucking miserable, bro. I bitched the whole time. And it was the best <laughs> thing that ever happened. It was the best thing that ever happened to me, bro. Because awesome. it, it forced me to spend time with me and I'd never done that ever. Now it was very painful for my wife. Um, I definitely did not give her a, a great, you know, van partner, but there was a lot of great lessons that happened there that I never would experience if we weren't one together all the time or two kind of like trapped in this, like, I think it was like 60 square feet. It was inside of our van. That's like what we lived in for like three and a half years. And uh, okay. I, I grew so much there, man. It was an amazing experience. Timestamp it from when you retired to that Walmart experience. Like how, how far out <sighs> were you? Like maybe 15, 20 days. Okay, yeah, so yeah. it's very fast. Right, yeah, right to the red is yeah. Yeah, man, like at that point. But I was cool and I was chill and people were like, "Dude, Cody, what are you doing moving to van?" I'm like, "No, man, it's going to be great." You know, and yeah. like oh, it's going to be awesome. And then here I am still, you know, because I try to tell people, you know, I don't try to. I do tell people, especially when I'm coaching and working with them, like, "Doesn't matter what you do or where you go, what outfit you put on, what character you decide to play, like you're always gonna end up right back where you started until you address the root of everything, which is you. And so I'm in a van now, I'm a civilian, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I wanna do, I'm free, but I'm still aggressive, I'm still in the red, and I'm honestly, I'm still hurt, man. I, it's all boiled down to just being hurt. I was just fucking hurt because I was lost, I didn't know what to do, I didn't know who I was, and uh, that was absolutely terrifying for me. You're going through the medical retirement process. I, I've only had buddies who go through it, so I'm not super familiar, but it sounds like that, that took a couple of years. Was there, was it just a series of events where, you know, it's popping up and you have the realization like, hey, I'm not right and I need to be done with this? 
or was there an event that triggered it? What was the catalyst to like, all right, hey, now you're going to go to the medical board, et cetera? Yeah, so there's a lot of telltale signs leading up to this point. Go figure. I was late a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was late a lot, but people were like, oh, that's just Cody. And I thought it was just me too. I was late a lot. I was, I was constantly taking ranger naps. I was constantly like <sighs> taking little cat naps anywhere I could. Um, and But I got back from my last deployment in 2016, January 2016, and we come back home, we do a thing called this a home location decompression. So like you talk to like your admin, your psych, the chaplain, physical therapist, all these people. You talk to like all your S-shops. And I get to the shrink and he's like, so tell me about your deployment. And this deployment was like, it, it was intense, super intense, but it was so shitty because uh, you know this from the military. The military does a great job of adding unnecessary hierarchy Shocking. on things right Shocking. so yeah. we were a uh, special operations task force and so a company so i have a i have a major i have actually two majors and i'm the enlist senior enlisted guy so like i'm the e8 and we have four teams but no not good enough because we got to get our command staff in there because at this time marsoc was really competing against the rest of socom which you know marines if you take out the emotional value marines are savage if you take out the emotional value of Marslock, Marslock is savage. If you apply logic and experience, it's a clusterfuck. And so <laughs> what it really comes down to is that Marslock was so junior and the officers, right, past 04 or major, they're not competitive with a Navy SEAL, a Green Beret, uh, or, or AFSOC guy. They're just, they're not because those guys and gals have like other command level positions where Marslock Marsoc's great idea is like, hey, you're going to have to go to the big Marine Corps for like four years and then you get to come back and you come back disconnected with a stupid haircut and you're like, I'm going to make a difference. Yeah. I'm going to square away yeah. people like you are the problem. And so that's it, it's like this big issue that we have. And so they're like, how can we give the senior enlisted senior officer uh, a, a position that's equivalent to their peer group so we could have a senior officer, a senior enlisted guy, you know, up in the SOCOM status one day. And so I get it, but at the same time, when you were the, when you're the experiment test bed for something like that, you're going to suffer because everybody wants their little fingers in the thing. And yeah. some of those fucking idiots are just so emotionally unintelligent, which affects people they have never trained with. And so now I have a direct line of communication from my higher headquarters, which is like a door away, telling me exactly how I need to treat my guys in this battlefield when they're only really looking out for themselves. Like I'm used to that type of conversation from a higher, higher headquarters that's like in Baghdad or, or like another place, you know, um, that is disconnected and they're, they're using the strategic. But when you have two entities operating on the tactical and the operational level doing the same thing, you're just asking for conflict and there's personal agendas attributed to that. And that was very apparent on this deployment. So not only am I trying to keep my guys alive and, and get support that they need to be successful, but I'm also dealing with idiots who are looking out for how can we look cool? What is my award going to look like? Now, granted, these people never said those things, but it was very apparent when they, they would show up and it, I don't know, I just got tired of that shit, man. I peaked, I've been a very, I was always a fast promoted enlisted guy. So at a young age, I get to peek behind the curtain. I just saw how like, there's just a really shitty leaders out there, you know, or they're only good wartime leaders or they're only good admin leaders. There's like, they, 
it's like, bro, put it on the line. That the rank is for your men. The pay is for you. That's that's how it goes. At least in my world. So yeah. I come back from this deployment. I'm just I'm just disgruntled, dude. Like I'm stressed out. 18 hours a day. I'm working in a CIA compound. I have no fucking sunlight in my life, right? And same thing with everyone else in that staff. It wasn't just about me. Like everyone in that staff running the operations center, that was our life cycle. It was fucking shitty. And um, I come back and the psych's like, so tell me about your deployment. I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. He's like, tell me how you're going on. I'm like, I'm not telling you shit. I'm like, yeah. I've, said, I've, I've said these things time and time again, but like no one has helped me. Like no one's done anything. Like I've asked for help before. Uh, I was actually, so being wounded, uh, being put on the, the WIA list back in 2004, the Wounded Warrior program used to call me every year and ask me how I was doing. Well, okay. about two years, about a year and a half before this event, I get a phone call from them. Hey, Cody, we're checking in on you. How are you doing? I'm like, I'm fucking miserable. I need fucking help. Dude, I never got a call back. And because I just, at this point, I was just like, I was so disgruntled at this point i was going through a lot of bs i was accused of a bunch of things i was under like my fourth investigation in two years my name is getting blackballed across my organization i clearly i was acquitted of all my charges because they're all erroneous but being a muscular tattoo guy who's verbal and outspoken and who is a leader right because people respected me and people admired me and i took care of people like that was a threat to an organization so i was definitely being made a target so was my team and that's when this people call so now fast forward to this situation with the psych he's like so tell me about everything and i kind of just like let out all my hate and discontent and I, I get to the point where i tell him like hey man you get me my sleep fix and give me some adderall i'll tell you anything i'll tell you how i'm feeling i'll tell you what i'm going through and he's like okay this dude came through out of everybody this guy came through so he nice. uh it was like a week and a half later two weeks later because we went we went on leave post-deployment leave and he sends me a packet to fill out to go to Intrepid Spirit, which we call, the dudes call it the Traumatic Brain Injury Clinic, the TBI clinic. And then I, I go to a doctor's appointment to do a test for ADHD. They're like, oh, sure, shit, you have space cadet mindset. <laughs> you, you ADHD, so bam, here's my Adderall, which I'm stoked because like I have more focus now than I've had in a few years. Uh, but it was like a Band-Aid, and you know the Band-Aid only stops the bleeding for a little bit, doesn't really heal the wound. And so... Um, I started doing my sleep studies and they're like, I was constantly missing like one REM cycle to be diagnosed as narcolepsy, which at this time I was extremely desperate because I found out that, and maybe you could understand this too, like once you start saying you need help, it's like a domino effect because you start to like shed the, the, the wall of the facade that you've been keeping up. And I started to expose myself more and I really found out I wasn't as strong as I thought I was. I was like, I actually need a lot of help. Like I'm actually suffering a lot and I've never articulated it because I always cast it aside to focus on the men and the mission, right? There's yeah. a book called The Men Mission to Me for a reason. And I, I'm, I'm fully supportive of that. But I took that like most men and women to the next level where there's a time and place, but my time and place was all the time. Vice, doing it when the need to and not doing it when I, when, and not doing me when I must. And so at this point, I made it my whole commitment to like, because I was, I was taking a position that was going to be stateside. It was super high up there, but super kind of admin, very pathetic. Um, but I'm like, hey, whatever. I'm going to get time to like invest into me. So I uh, go to the, tr the brain injury clinic. I start doing all these tests. And this neurosurgeon comes and gives me like a report. And he's like, hey, uh, 
you know, there's enough stuff here to, you know, put you on the medical board. And I'm like, what the fuck you say? Like, I was like terrified. And I always told myself I'd only get out if I retired or medically retired. Because personally, at this time in my life, I was so scared. I, I don't think I was brave enough or nor did I believe in my future enough to get out on my own. That's just the honest truth. I think I was just too scared. Uh, Cause I, what do you, what does everyone say? What about your benefits? You know, if anyone's listening to this, that is that yeah. you're in that situation, let me just tell you something. I was a master sergeant for 15 and a half years. That was my high three. So I was an E8 for three and a half years. So I got that pay for retirement at 15 and a half years as an E8. The retirement's like 1600 bucks. I can show you how to make $1,600 in a day. Your VA, whether you do four years, actually, I have a friend who never graduated boot camp. He got injured. So whether you sign the same contract, if you're 100% permanent in total, you're looking at at least $3,600 a month tax-free. So if you're on the fence, like, I need my pension, bro, you can go make that in a day. But you could do four years, you could do four days and be 100%. You don't have to be losing an eyesight, limb, a fucking nut. Like, you can just be a normal person that's not the same as you were when you entered the military. Rant over, right? Because that's, yeah. that, was a big, that was a big fear of mine because I didn't know. And so he tells me this stuff. I'm like, oh, God, okay. And so I started that process. And uh, it was uncomfortable because now they're like, I'm ruffling some feathers now. Because at, at that type of rank, you know, if I was to kill myself, get fired, or retire, I'm disrupting the infrastructure because I'm not that re – I'm replaceable, but the structure is not that, like, fluid, right? Because, like, there's other steps you have to go to go to this position that I was in, and there was – I was right. one of two positions. And so now they're like, what are we, what are we doing? But luckily I had it, my, my – immediate command level was very supportive because I was very verbal about like what I was going through. And man, I, I, my hat is off to them. They, they did take care of me. Uh, but I remember walking to my master guns office, uh, the E9. I'm like, Hey dude, I need no responsibility. He's like, what? I'm like, dude, I am so fucking stressed out. Like I'm killing myself with, I just, I need no responsibility while I'm doing this, like these medical treatments. And he's like, he's like, Cody, we're all go We all go through stuff. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to be that guy anymore. And so I don't want to be the guy who just sucks it up. That's the stupid – there's – I'm not on the battlefield anymore. Now I'm dealing yeah. with a completely different battlefield where I, I must not suck it up anymore. I must just endure the resistance that's going to – I'm going to encounter by asking for help <laughs> because that was a battle in itself. And so I start this medical board process, and I kind of feel this weight off my shoulders – and at the time, I was super fortunate because I'm always asking questions now because now I'm like, fuck, I care about all my health. I care about all the treatment things that this unit provides because guys don't care about that shit. Because if you go yeah. to any of those rooms, you're worried about losing your clearance. You're worried about losing your job. And that's terrifying. And at this point, I'm like, bro, I went, what else can I touch here? Like, what else can you help me? You can help me with breathing. Let's go. Like, I didn't know any about this shit. And... Uh, at the same time, I was able to do a, uh, a uh, what do they call it, a uh, not a fellowship program, but uh, I was basically able to do an internship program because I was on a, I was on a medical board and I was on okay. limited duty. So I was able to do an a, a internship program. And so I got to work with the company. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the company Softleet. Um, yep. So I was, they took me on. And for right. six months, I lived, I moved 
away from the base. I got to live, you know, three hours away and I'm kind of like a civilian and I'm only coming back for my medical appointments. And it was, man, that gave me the biggest opportunity to one, taste kind of civilian life, but two, de literally de-stress. I got to interact into like the civilian population. I'm working this job. Now granted the job is all military guys, but a couple. Uh, but like they really taught me a skill set. I learned photography, videography, design, right? Kind of things I apply to my life now. And but yeah. it was just really nice opportunity and to shift the pace. And then going back to base was like, oh my God, I, I, I my hair was falling out. I, I was be so stressful. My butthole would be so clenched, right? I'm just like, Ugh. and so now there's this opportunity to go to uh, not an opportunity. I'm being told like, hey you need to go to this like this, this seminar, this E8 seminar, uh, because my medical board was not solidified yet. So now I'm like, fuck, I'm going to Tampa, Florida to do the, the joint enlisted senior PME um, for, for SOCOM. And I'm there with a bunch of like Delta guys and dev guys and like all these like super secret dudes. And uh, I, it was a blast. They were like level headed conversations. It's people I want to be around. And it, it was, it made it, it made it good. I learned a lot of things. It was just a good environment. It was still like another break. Well, the whole time I'm there, uh, I made a few friends there, these Delta dudes, which was a dream of mine, you know, and I tried multiple times to apply for the organization, but my organization would never let me go. And, um, which once again was a blessing too, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not, I used to beat myself up about it, but now I'm just like, bro, it all happened how it's supposed to happen. And I'm like, and I, and I tell these guys, I'm like, hey, can you guys drive at nighttime? I have a hard time seeing like, hey, this is what I'm going on. I'm always fucking tired. And like, I'm telling them these things. Well, like the last week there, there's this all hand Marsoc, Marsoc email. So I'm checking my email in class and it says, attention all hands Marsoc. Like the, the organization is opening the doors for selection. Uh, there's no restriction. Uh, there's, you know, if you meet the requirement and they want you, you can try it out. That, that was the rules. And I was like, holy shit, this is my chance. This is my chance. And so I, I called my boss and I'm like, hey man, uh, put me down. He's like, well, your packet is out of date. You need to resubmit it, but you can't, I, you have to like do some physical fitness tests to, to complete your packet. So I had to wait till I came back from this course. So I come back from this course. I smoke all these like physical fitness tests and um, I go to the neurosurgeon. I'm like, hey dude, uh, I had this chance to go to, to a selection and I'm going to take that. And he's like, that's okay, Cody. We can stop your medical board. He's like, but let me ask you this question. He's like, if you were to go over there, do you think you would be a liability? And I was like, fuck. <laughs> like, oh, and yeah. dude, I was like, oh shit. And like, I literally flash back this whole time in Tampa when I'm telling these dudes at that unit that like, hey, can you help me out with this? I'm not so good at this anymore. I'm reflecting back at my time at the schoolhouse where my other counterpart, you know, he was the C he was in charge of his section, also had the CQB side, the close quarters battles. And he's like, hey, do you wanna go to the shoot house? I had that opportunity every day. And I'm like, I don't do that shit, bro. I'm going to do what I got to do and get the hell out of here. I want to go home. And so I'm reflecting back all this when he asked me, do you think you would be a liability over there? I'm just like, yes. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. no <laughs> doubt. Question. I believed in myself that I could pass the thing. But honestly, could I endure that life when I'm not even maximizing the one I have right now because of all these situations and conditions that I'm encountering? And I told them, yeah, I would be a liability. And so I withdrew my packet and I continued on the medical board. And that's that was a stressful process in itself because once it actually got submitted, 
now I'm like, is my shit good enough? Am I that am I that messed up to be approved? You know, like that's why guys and girls have such a hard time with a, getting their VA rating. They're like, did I do enough? Did I sacrifice enough? You know, uh, my report had like a thousand rockets. You know, I basically like eight. People think you have to be like shot in the helmet like me to get a TBI or blown up. No, bro, you just need to be in like minimum safe distance of an explosion or a rocket. Uh, like when rockets go off and so many of them happen and you're throwing up and everyone around you throwing up, that's not normal. But we're like, oh, that's normal, right? Dude, I used to downplay the fact of being shot in the fucking helmet. That's how programmed that I can be. I didn't think it was a big deal. I'm like, oh, I got shot in the helmet. Everyone else is like, oh my God, you got shot in the helmet. I'm like, yeah. So let's talk about something else. You know, like I never Next, yeah. gave myself kind of credit for like, damn, dude, I, me and my homies, we went through a lot of shit, you know? Yeah. And it's taken me a long time to really shift that perspective. That might be common sense to most people, but, you know, I find that to not be true, honestly, because a lot of the clients that I work with, a lot of people I interact with, they don't see all the shit they've overcome in their life. And they don't give themselves the credit for, for continually to push through it all. Because that alone is like heroic and life-changing for someone else, you know? But we don't ever see ourselves in, the, in, the, in our own light how we should see ourselves because then we'd be having a better world. We would stop being disgruntled and hateful and fucking feeling insignificant and all these other issues that occur. So on the medical board, and now it's just a waiting game. And it's just, and that that's stressful because I'm like, is my shit gonna be denied? Well, my stuff comes back saying like, hey, you're, you're, you're found unfit for duty so now it's like, I'm definitely getting out of the Marine Corps, but am I going to be able to retire? And that was another stressful thing because now I got to submit that packet. And I'm relying on people that I'm not even supporting anymore to do the work for me. That's and, a lot, man. But, you know, I attribute that level of execution and precision based off like having good interpersonal skills and communication skills because. I've I learned if you want to be successful in the military life, you have to treat people with respect. And even if I was a, a, a douchebag, I always came back and I apologized. It might not happen right then and there, but I always did that. And I always treated people who were in lesser jobs than me with the utmost respect because they already felt insignificant because my peer groups were a bunch of cocksuckers at times and they made them feel <laughs> inadequate. Yeah. Hey, you, this is your job. You should do it. Well, there's a lot of things at our job that dudes don't do either. So it was like this like macho man kind of like mindset. And I saw that from day one. That's what my team and my companies and everything that I was ever like in charge of or part of like always like succeeded because I always made sure like you treat people with respect, bro. If they fuck you up, you come let me know. That's my job to come and step in. But we always, always talk to people like they're a human like us. And uh, so being gone at this brain clinic, why I'm desperate for these like signatures and can you go to the colonel can you go to the boss can you go do this like people came through for me and so I'm just really appreciative of everyone's support civilian and military uh, that did that but uh, uh, I'm at the brain clinic and I call my case manager and he's like hey you're approved I'm like I had like 20 days left not even 20 days like 15 days left in the Marine Corps like it was happening fast and so oh, I was right, coming yeah. I was coming back from Florida and I, at that point, I had like 12 days left. I was like, oh shit, because I was retired the 30th of September. I had no plan other than the van, like that whole story, right? And so it, it was just this, like, it happened fast. It was like getting a tattoo you weren't expecting. You're like, I, I said I thought I wanted a tattoo, right? I don't really want one. You know, like it was happening fast. And, you know, that was it. I picked up my DD-214. 
Well, the funny thing was, I was supposed to pick up my DD-214 on, like, I think it was, like, a Friday. No, on, like, a Tuesday or Wednesday. It was, like, a midday week. And, but I, and I had my appointment to get my hands tattooed that same day. Well, there was a gas leak inside of our headquarters building, so they, like, sent everyone home. So they told me to come back. I'm like, well, I'm not canceling my appointment. <laughs> so I got my hands blasted. <laughs> and then the next day, I came into the headquarters. I'm wearing, like, sweatshorts and, like, my floral T-shirt. Bro, I, I didn't give a fuck. And uh, I walked <laughs> in there. Hand- huh? Yeah, you can like, what do you do? Kick me out? Yeah. yeah, I'm fucking out of here, bro. Hands are freshly <laughs> blasted. I sign my name, pick up my DD-214, dude, and I jam out of there. And uh, I was like... That was it. I turned in my Marsock badge. They they walk you out the gate. And you hear the stories. They walk you off the compound. But it was, like, triggering me. I'm like, are you fucking serious? I know how to walk, bro. I don't need you to follow. You're too close to me, bro. You're too close yeah. to me. And I was like, that was it. That was it, man. The show goes on. People, especially being a leader in the military, people are like, oh, they need me. They need me to stay here. I hate my fucking job. My life is miserable, but they need me. I'm like, no, they don't need you. It's your job to train them. Because whether you kill yourself, you die, you retire, or get fired, you will be instantly replaced. There's no one calling me like, how did this TPS report work? No one's calling me the next day. No one's calling you the next day. It is a system, and that is okay. That is okay. I had to accept that and, and grow through that because that took me a long time because I felt hurt. I sacrificed so much. I was prosecuted so much. I overcame so much. Uh, and I, I did feel like a victim, self-imposed victim, because I allowed an institution to determine my worth and my value. I allowed a, a, a system of people to determine my worth and my value. And that just took me some time to really like get honest with myself and, and work through it. Best decision I ever made, man. Yeah, tough, tough to do. I mean, because you're immersed in it, and I think we've all been there. Like my story was when I left. Like I literally just dropped the checklist off. Like the person, what the admin wasn't even there, so I just <laughs> left it on the desk and I just drove away. And I was like, that was it. And uh, I think all the other, like Brad Thomas had him on the podcast. He was a former Delta dude, and he was saying they went to like lunch a Mexican restaurant, and then that was it. Like he went his way, and then everyone else just drove back to work. You know, and like that's it. The machine keeps churning. Like you want to think you're special, but you're not. It's Ultimately, I think the people you serve with, like the the bros, like that part, the camaraderie, like that's that's tough to. You got to find it in other other spots, but man, the machine's the machine, man. The machine's yeah, gonna dude. keep on churning. Yep, it is you a know. machine, and whew, and you find it's out. It's funny there. to hear you. Yeah, so I was gonna say it's funny, like when you you said it in, like the beginning, and then obviously you dove down and kind of getting the the help piece. But I was like, all the like when you come back, like, and you talk to psych or medical and all these things like I, my my per- perception and stuff like it's all ball wash like no one ever i was like does anyone like ever really come in here and so the fact that you said something like opened up the floodgates man like that was clearly life-changing yeah it was super life-changing and because, i mean you gotta think about it you do these pre-deployment health assessments you do post-deployment health assessments if you literally say that you only eat one can of green beans a day you're unhealthy. If you have more than two beers a day, you're unhealthy. I mean, you are an alcoholic if you really kind of think about it. But like, you're like, you're just like, why would you put these things? Especially when most guys have like TS clearances and stuff like that. And yeah. th- and so to be able to go through this experience, you know, I, I, I had a very high, I had the highest clearance and my clearance was renewed while I was on this medical board, while I was talking to a shrink, while I was doing this whole process. And I told people this, I'm like, bro, they just renewed my clearance for like another six years and I'm retiring. 
Like, jokes on them. You know, like, they're still doing it because they still are treating me. It's just like you're innocent until proven guilty. And so people keep themselves from getting help because of that fear. And so I spent like the last few weeks or actually a few months in uniform, like going around and telling everyone like, dude, I got fucking gnarly anxiety, bro. I got to tell you I have anxiety. We're all passed out. I'm like, some of you guys can't even breathe in front of people because you're too fucking scared. You're not weak. You're just too scared because you don't know how to address what's going on inside of you. I'm like, hey, do you guys know that we have this training over here? Do you guys know we have this, 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 this? And so uh, my last few months, when I asked my boss, like, hey, I need no responsibility, they moved me to the human performance uh, section. And so I really got to dive a little deeper into like the, kind of like the health and wellness side. While active duty, I'm like, bro, I didn't even know this stuff existed. Because it's funny, because as a team guy, like you, you're like, oh, all the support guys are always using the 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 stuff that's for us. I'm like, well, bitch, one, they sign up for it. Two, they actually go to the briefs, and and three, they're not they're not trying to be better than anyone but themselves. <laughs> like they're not yeah. putting on a front when we are. You know, like we ha- we literally have a, uh, like collegiate coaches that teach like Olympic lifting and all this like healthy mobility, like true strength. You know, I could deadlift a lot, I could squat a lot, I could bench press a lot, but I was not, sh- I did not have strength. And they're like, Cody, you should try this. But I don't do that shit. That's not how I grew up. So I was so programmed. I'm gonna get big and jacked. And then towards my way out, yeah. I'm like, guys, they're like, people looked up to me like, man, I'm gonna be big like you, bro. I'm like, dude, don't. Do whatever they tell you to do and go through all these hard schools first, then get jacked their way. So you still have mobility, so you can still go past these schools because you're, you're gonna need to be, I wasn't this big doing those things. Like, don't get stupid. You're, you're here for a long period of time. Like you're looking at me and I'm on like level 12 and you're on level fucking zero. So, yeah. you know, I started to like share that message because man, it's really easy to compare yourself in an organization like that. It's really easy. Uh, but I also know it's very influential to like kind of voice something that's different. And, and that's what I did. And, you know, you, you add social media to that. It just magnified, uh, my voice. And back then I had like no one following me. Uh, but it was just like, who is this dude? <laughs> like sharing these things about like self help, like what kind of weird hippie shit is that? <laughs> it's true. Oh, that's awesome, man. I want to jump back, man. The beginning. What, what made you want to be a Marine? What made you join? Dude. I saw the movie Sniper with Tom Berenger, bro. It was game over. <laughs> Straight up. That was my, that was it's, it. It's simple. It's that yeah. simple. It, I just talked to a bunch yeah, of basketball that's... kids the other day. And I'm like, I saw this movie Sniper with Tom Berenger, bro. And that was hooked. Like that is the ultimate truth. I wanted to be an army ranger before that. Cause I saw a poster and it looked really cool. Okay. Um, but then I found out about scout snipers and the Marine Corps is the only one that had scout snipers, right? Cause the scout adds like 10% extra to like awesomeness. And so then I saw the movie Sniper with Tom Berenger. I'm like, dude, I got to do this shit. This looks just sick. So everything, anything's, I was that kid on the History Channel and like Discovery Channel watching all the, this, the Buds training or like, you know, boot camps or Scott Sniper stuff, like snipers, military, World War II. Like I didn't care. I was all about it because it wasn't the war aspect. It was like, dude, this shit looks hard. They're like, they're like only like six, like 60% people fail. I'm like, that sounds that sounds legit. Like that sounds terrifying. And, uh, it just looked like, man, to be something elite like that, you know, like I was, it was game over for me. That was it. Only reason why was your first. So you joined the Marine Corps. I think was I reading, would you graduate high school in Oh three? 
Yeah, I graduated high school in 03, and I went to boot camp like 30 days later. Okay, you're same as me, but I'm thinking, you know, backing up to that time period, right? 9-11 happens, and then March of 03, right? We kick off OEF, uh, 1, 2, whatever. I don't even know what number it is, but yeah, obviously the war is, the war is churning. It's, it's full on when you're going into to boot camp. Yep. What were the first couple of years in the Marine Corps for you? Like, what was the path to get to MARSOC? Uh, so, went to boot camp, went to School of Infantry, went to the Infantry, 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines. That was my first uh, duty station, and that's where I became a scout sniper. Uh, MARSOC didn't exist back then, so when I got back from my second sniper deployment with the, with the grunts, the infantry, I went to Force Reconnaissance, so that was 2006. Force Reconnaissance was like the premier unit at the time. We had one more premier unit called Detachment 1, but at the same time, Detachment 1 was going away. Detachment 1 was our first, uh, uh, like, um introduction into like special operations they're doing like some tier one mission packages with other tier one units uh you know on a few deployments and um that's when the 2006-7 transition happened and they said like you know marine corps is going to have a special operations branch so at the time force reconnaissance went away detachment one went away and those guys came down became our leaders inside of marsoc the new marsoc and then force reconnaissance Basically, we stood up MARSOC back in 2006-ish, 2007 timeframe. And um, so far, for two years, we were operating with no force reconnaissance, only MARSOC. So now we're doing a SOCOM mission. Um, and like about a year and a half, two years into it, that's when we started like our schoolhouse uh, to actually create a pipeline because we were basically just like, bro, we were turning and burning. We were operating on four companies and we only had manpower for three. So like dudes were constantly gone we're, and we're heavily engaged in Afghanistan at this point in time because it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's all basically like soft influence, right? The, it was, a, it was a small general purpose, big soft presence. And, um, so the path to Marsoc really was honestly timing for me personally. There was no, um, like, I want to be Marsoc one day. Like it didn't even exist. I didn't. I didn't even know about it. Like I was in jump school actually at Fort Benning, and I got a phone call from a, a buddy of my teammate. He's like, "Hey, dude, we just like changed it to like MSOB, Marine Special Operations Battalion, and we kind of heard these things, uh, but like, you know, the military, bro. Like you don't believe shit until it happens. But it, the crazy thing was is when it did happen, they're like, "Hey, everyone is on relaxed grooming standards. You're going to be issued." no shaved shits and relaxed grooming standard shits uh, next week. Uh, everyone's going to be in, like, you know, basically soft casual attire. And we're like, dude, this is the sickest thing ever, bro. Because, like, <laughs> any, anytime you can get over on the military, it's a, it's a huge win, bro. Because, like, <laughs> you, you know, like, you wore a flat suit, right? Yeah. Anytime you wore it a little bit lower, you're savage. Anytime well, you had that extra yeah. patch on, you're savage. You know, or your, or your different glasses, like... It's just, it's these small one-up things that make you feel kind of unique and special in a robot, in a, a, like a fucking sea of zombies, honestly, you know? Well, that lasted, (laughs) that lasted like a week and a half, dude. And they're like, what the fuck? Who told y'all this, you know? (laughs) And like, it went back to like Gestapo tactics and, uh, but it was great, man. And, but that's basically how Marsak was started. And I started on the West Coast, so that was the story of the West Coast. And the East Coast okay. has a completely different story of how they originated. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was basically my path to MARSOC and in MARSOC. And then bef- to, to stay in the unit back then, you had to pass a qualification test. So basically what would happen is 
uh, you had to like meet these requirements. So like if you met these requirements and you did this training, plus you were able to do this like selection, pro this is like a very micro selection, um, you were good to go. If you could not pass those or didn't meet the requirements, they sent you away. So some guys in MARSOC or force reconnaissance did not go to MARSOC. So it was kind of crazy. That wasn't just like a free fall. It was like, it was kind of selective in a bunch of weird ways. A lot of it drug deals, a lot of it just like performance based. Uh, but I was just very fortunate that I met the qualifications and I could pass the things to do what I needed to do uh, because it was game on at this point. Um, we, none of us really knew like the caliber of like where it was going. We were just like, fuck yeah, more money, more guns. Let's go. More money for training. Sign me up. You know, yeah. uh, we, more money for special duty assignment pay. More fucking guns, different different guns, weapon systems that we had access to at the time. Uh, different mission sets. Like that was like every kid's like dream right there, right? Like who doesn't want to do that? You know, who doesn't want that opportunity to like do what the commercial said you're going to be able to do? And, um, you know, it still wasn't like that to the the full way. It's actually funny. One of my buddy who is a, is a contractor at that unit I was talking about, he's like, he was my boss back in the day. He's like, man, where I'm at, bro, he's like, it's like everything we've ever wanted to do. It's like everything the commercials were, like everything. And I'm like, fuck. So like that that yeah that I'm like thanks dude as I'm over here like like I physically probably <laughs> could not pass that right now but like thanks for like letting me dream because like that aspect yeah, right. all that cool shit's that's not, so tight who doesn't want to do that I yeah. I did I'm still about that but I'm like well how can I do it differently nowadays that like really benefits like this calling that I have inside and I feel like I'd be taking a step back to go do something like that and I'd literally only be doing it for money and that never ever works out. I took that job in LA only for money because they were paying me like two hundred eighty thousand dollars. I'm like, I got fucking, Great. I got face tattoos. You're yeah. gonna pay me two hundred eighty thousand dollars? Shit, dog, let's go. Sign me up. Yeah, like, Sign me up. I'm like, I only did it for the money. And day one, I was miserable. You know, day one, I was miserable. So I'm like, why would I repeat this process when I? It's not like I'm fighting for America or the flag or like. It's just, yeah. it's you. You're doing something you're really good at, and there's obviously a lot of injustice out there. But like the cause or my why is not a tribute to that. It was it was solely on self fulfilling and financial gain. That was it. So that's not a healthy recipe. Those guys don't deserve that for me to be around that, um, and my family doesn't deserve that either. You know. So I'm glad it never happened. Uh, and I only wish the best for my friends that are over there. I'm always trying to encourage them to like not stay there. Uh, one, I want to see them yeah. live. And two, I'm like, bro, you're so gifted and talented. You can apply yourself in so many other ways. And a lot of guys are like, this is all I know. It's like, what's well, all you're allowing yourself to be good at? I mean, if you're fit, there's a job there. If you're a good dad, there's a job for that. You know, there's, there's a thing you can do. If you have a uh, an opinion about something there's a job for that there's a thing you can do right it's just we're way more than a gun and i really don't like how uh we're fucking weaponized uh that way so that's kind of like my own like ugh, with it all well i mean you talked about it in the beginning too like it's just tough to to give that up that's what you've known and to step out and do something that's scary or different the unknown is scary yeah. and this is like the warm blanket but the thing is too like those can be great organizations and doing great work but again, they're bad apples that become leaders if you you've alluded to. So it's kind of like copy paste, just like a different different polo. But again, too, like you're just a cog in the machine, you know? I mean, anywhere, right? Like in the end, it's you, your family, your friends. Like it's like the network you build around you and like just being a being a good person, take care of yourself. Otherwise, like no one cares more about you than than you do. And 
that's out to lunch, it, it's not going to work out well. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, you know, that's that is a very factual statement. Um, dude, I was I was listening to uh, the podcast you did with Sean because you were you're on the KIA list. Yeah, right? I was on the KIA list. I was wondering why I wasn't getting mail, um, and so yeah, that was my first. Even, yeah, that was my first deployment to Iraq. Yeah. And that was Fallujah, Yeah, right? that was Fallujah, yeah. This uh, first sergeant, Sergeant Major Skiles. He's a, he was a sergeant All major. Right. First Sergeant Skiles. And, Talk to uh, me a little bit about Fallujah. I mean, uh, I've read about it. I've had David Bellavia on the podcast. I heard, you know, the armies push through the city. But, you know, you see the videos of, like, Mad Dog and, like, the lead up, like, on the outskirts of Fallujah. But I can't even fathom what it was like being on the ground and, like, leading up to going to kick doors down and just being in an insane fight. Yeah, it was out of all my deployments, it was obviously it was by far like the most terrifying, fucking scary. I've never been more scared in my life than I was there, like ever. None of my other deployments like ever came close to it. Maybe because I was young and 18, I was the first time I was exposed to it, but like the dynamics and violence that existed there was completely different. You know, like it was just so different because Iraq on day one was very CGB oriented. It was very like in your face, house to house. And then I transitioned to Afghanistan, which had very little aspects of that, but it had more standoff. Their tactics were different. And then going back to Iraq multiple times later, now it's like destroyed by ISIS. Now we're fighting ISIS, you know, so it's, it's still this different dynamics. It wasn't this like kind of like untouched asset, you know, this untouched place. And um, it was super brutal, super violent. Uh, but, yeah, it was fucking craziest thing ever. Uh, day one in the city, actually, uh, day one in the city, this is my helmet right here. I get fucking Dude. kissed right in the helmet. Um, I was a point man on a sniper team, and <clears throat> we... Basically, we're told to like, hey, push in the city. Nothing's really happened. It's a couple of pop shots here and there. Push into the city, establish an Overwatch position, report back to higher headquarters. So that's what we did. That's what a sniper does. Eyes and ears of the battalion. So we pushed in. Uh, we occupied this two-story building, set up comms and uh, our position up there. And it's like right after prayer time, uh, I spot these two guys across the street on this rooftop. And I relay it back to my team. And the next thing you know, like all hell breaks out. Um, now we're, I'm in my very first gunfight. Uh, there's a few gunfight aspects prior to this, but now I'm actually directly engaged. The, these other previous ones, I'm like standing, holding six security, like, this is boring. And, you know, I want to shoot. Because like, who the fuck yeah. wants to just stare at a doorway? But you understand the very, the, the importance of the responsibility of staring at a doorway. And as a point, man, that was my responsibility. And so at this point in time, I'm transitioning from another doorway to this window where I'm like observing. And, um, you know, my, my radio operator and I were, were engaging across, uh, back and forth across the street while I go to reload. And as soon as I come back from my reload, I, I poke out around the corner because I have to poke out to engage. And it was like instantly lights out. And I was like, fuck. Literally, I, I think in myself, like having this like out of body experience and seeing everything happen, like I, I think I probably said like, fuck, like, dude, I was just thinking about like all the life I didn't get to live and like, just what the, f yes. like, it, it was just like, it's like driving down a road and some rando just honks his horn, completely didn't expect it. It came out of nowhere. And before you know it, just you heard, 
And you're like, what just happened? That's how quick this whole environment, this situation, that's how quick the lights out were for me. And um, I come back too, and like we're still like in this like heavy fucking gunfight, and I'm like convulsing, I'm being kicked by my assistant team leader. Uh, Cause he's like on the ground kicking me to like, he's like, we didn't see any blood. We thought you were dead. And like, I'm like, fuck. And I'm like crying. I'm like, what happened? And like, I'm just like kind of delusional, man. And um, yeah, yeah. we, uh, we ended up uh, kind of like low crawling out of this, this, the second floor house and get down to the, to the bottom stairs. This house is kind of like under construction. And my radio operator and I were inside this bathroom and he's trying to get communications up and we're not, clearly getting communications up in this like concrete ass place. And uh, we start spotting these, uh, I'm at point security because my two snipers on my team, my team leader, my assistant team leader had a bolt action sniper rifle and a fucking Beretta. <laughs> and then my radio operator and I, we had the M16 like fucking cannons, right? Like this is like 24 inch rifles, right? They're massive. <laughs> Just huge. Uh, oh yeah, like yeah, fixed payments. <laughs> but looking back on it, dude, going into like a broomstick like that is absolutely terrifying. You know, like so using a carbine is like so kind of comical compared to like what we we're actually doing with like broomsticks. Like it was nuts. So I don't really like it when people complain about. I need the chin edge. I'm like, you just need to get better. Uh, <laughs> you just need to get better because but, shut up. So <laughs> you you know what I went through? I mean, that time period too. I guess people forget it's like. That was like probably like 07, 08 time frame. It might have been a little bit earlier. It might have been after Fallujah when, you know, people were like sending their kids body armor. Like MRAPs didn't exist, you know? It's like all of a sudden with all these IEDs, people getting shot. It's like, I feel like the tech and the demand for this stuff really just ramped up. But like, again, when, when you're talking about like your helmet, like that's like the old school, like Kevlar, uh, big old helmet and then, I don't know. I've never done CQB, but I can envision doing it with a broomstick versus an M4, whatever is slightly different as you're like pivoting around this door or whatever it might be. A massive pivot. You know, actually, (laughs) General Mattis, I was one of the first few cases of guys to get shot in the helmet and live. And so right before we entered the city of Fallujah, we're on this like the outskirts on on, on this like overpass. And Mattis was down the fucking road. They're like, Alfred, fucking the general wants to see you. So I'm like, what the fuck? So like, you know, mad dog. And he like says some like dumb witty shit to me. He's like, he's like, he's like, is that your helmet? I'm like, yes, yes, sir. You know? And he's like, he looks at, he's like something hardcore. Right. And then like, he says, get back to your fighting position. That was it. I'm like, yes, sir. And I go back to my position, (laughs) dude. But I'm going around the city for like two more weeks with this fucking helmet. That's not going to stop another bullet at all. Like it's done. (laughs) And so, like, being a point man still, I'm, like, poking my head around things. I'm, like, terrified. I'm, like, I'm going to get shot in the fucking hell. Like, I'm trying to, like, expose, like, the rest of my body. So, like, there's a bigger target than just, like, my my brain. And, um, yeah, it was oh, it was terrifying. Dude. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. I ended up getting another helmet uh, from a, a dead Marine. Like, that's kind of, like, how we Damn. were able to scrap stuff. And then when it came to, like, armor for our vehicles, uh the Air Force, we really, the Air Force and the 101st uh, Airborne Division. And so we were stripping all their shit. We, we pillaged the Air Force vehicles. They had armor. Uh, we were taking their doors off. We put it on our fucking soft skin vehicles, blast blankets and, and uh, like sandbags everywhere. That's all we had. And, um, you know, we were not prepared for that 
that storm that we like kicked up like we were not prepared for that and i and i say that it's not in like a tactical training wise well actually i do because prior for that deployment we were actually doing uh sasso training uh like stability operations right yeah not quite not quite the same deal yes security and stability operations i think that's what it stands for sasso it's like it's like basically like hug and kiss martial law that's all it is and that's what we were training for. Then we go to Fallujah where it's just like, I, you know, I have a fucking dog on my kneecap eating a hand because dogs were eating bodies. And uh, Doug Zimbach, uh, he was a captain at the time, Major Doug Zimbach, he was, he was killed uh, as a contractor later in life. Uh, he, he said, like, dogs of Fallujah would go f- grow fat off of feasting out the dead bodies we laid to waste. And that's exactly what happened, man. There was literally just piles of bodies everywhere. And, you know, some guys are like, fuck, yeah. But, I mean, you know, looking back at all that, I, I run a coaching group called R3 Raw Real Ready and help people level up their mindsets and reprogram their subconscious mind to overcome limiting beliefs. And uh, one of the guys in my coaching group last night is my call. And I actually went to boot camp with him. We actually kind of crossed okay. paths a few times on our deployment. And... Um, I was telling him the same, I was telling the group, my, my, my group, the same story, like, Hey guys, uh, you know, there was a time where I downplayed, you know, being as a fucking survivor, I downplayed that I downplayed getting shot of the fucking helmet and not just getting shot of the helmet, but getting shot of the helmet and going on another fucking patrol instantly, not being afraid to put my head out there. So that was the beginning of my deployment on day one. And I had six more combat deployments after this, right? With always that in the back of my fucking mind that, holy shit. And, you know, he told me, he's like, hey, man, for, for years I got out of the Marine Corps and I felt regretful and resentful that, like, I missed out on those things. I didn't get to do those things. He's like, but after watching your, your Sean Ryan show, I was able to let go of that. And I'm like, I'm glad I didn't get any of that. I'm glad I didn't receive any of that stuff. And he's like, thank you for what you've gone through and sharing that because I don't want that. And I just started kind of getting fucking teary eye. I'm like, I never looked at it that way. You know, a lot of these fucking idiots out there, they're like, oh, I wish I was there with you. I'm like, no, you don't. To be soulless, to be absolutely fucking terrified, and to be maimed. Uh, One of my best friends, Aaron Austin, that deployment, 30 days after, uh, 30 days after being shot in the helmet, it was April 26, 2004. And if if you follow my social media, I'm kind of always posting about it because... I post about these things not to boast what Cody did, but I have so many friends that never share their story. I have so many fucking heroes that just never allow themselves to be seen. And so by me sharing what I was able to experience and the people that I was able to encounter, man, it, to me, it's, it's sharing their story as well, right? Because it's not about fucking me. It's about all these like men and women, dude, that are silent fucking heroes and they will die. The sad truth is, brother, they will die and no one will ever know they existed. They will be another fucking carved stone in a graveyard and they will cease to exist. And, and people will fucking never know they ever had a pulse in this life. And that is the biggest disservice we can do. Uh, I got a phone call today about a Raider brother of mine who just killed himself uh, uh, yesterday, or two days ago, excuse me. And I'm like, when the fuck did we stop? So I, I share these stories, I tell these things to not inspire people to go get some. I'm not a, I'm not a fucking military recruiting video. I'm a, I'm a <laughs> reality of like, hey dude, you don't need war to fucking be lost and hurt 
and sad and depressed. And you don't need to feel inadequate for not doing those things either. Take lessons from the people who have experienced those things, just like take lessons from the history. And if you don't pay attention, you will repeat the same fucking things. And so, shocking. you know, uh, 30 days after this helmet engagement, uh, we're on this, uh, Doug Zimbach, he's like, hey, we were taking sniper shots from this one building. Uh, multiple times. It had this like blue satellite dish on it. Like it stuck out kind of like a sore thumb and we're always taking sniper shots from this thing, like receiving sniper fire. And uh, um, Doug's like, hey, we're going to go take over this compound and it's a strictly kill mission. Like I, we're going to do this so the snipers get kills. So my sniper team was sent out on this mission uh, with, with a squad and we, uh, over the fucking platoon, excuse me, and we go take over this compound. No engagement, uh, super easy to get inside. It's just across the Jolon Cemetery. So like our, 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 our main firm houses had visualization on us. And we get inside this building. We set up on the rooftop. I, knock, I, I bang out the, uh, the sniper hole, the kill hole, the myrtle hole, the loophole, right? And I get everything set up and my team leader is like, hey, you and you and Ben, he was the radio guy. He's like, you and Ben go downstairs, you know, take a fucking break because it's getting hot out here and we don't have much food or water. And then we'll send someone down there to come grab you guys like an hour. And we're like, okay. So I see Ben, he gives his rifle, his 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 M M16 uh, to our assistant team leader. He's like, hey, you might need this. <laughs> and then my team leader, I, I give my hip, I go to give him my rifle. He's like, no, you might need this. I'm like, okay. So we go downstairs, have a cigarette in this like big uh, kind of like sleeping room. So there's like a bunch of mattresses everywhere. It's like where they fucking like have their like powwow in their community room. And I got my rifle on the door frame in the, in the threshold of the door. And we're sitting on these pads, open for flak jackets, smoking cigarettes, dude. Like that's like the best feeling is like smoking is horrible, obviously. But like those moments <laughs> where you're smoking fuck, you just feel alive, dude. You just, you just, it's just, I don't know, man. It's like that manifest manifesting <laughs> of like what you saw in the movies, you know? You're just like yeah. peace in this like hell. And before you know it, dude, uh, this whole entire house, I'm on the second floor. Uh, there's th a third floor, then a rooftop. And the third floor is a very small, uh, like kind of like P-way, breezeway. And then okay. it's the, uh, the rooftop. And so... Uh, the house just starts yelling. You hear all these explosions. We got machine guns lighting up in our room. RPGs fucking hitting everywhere. Dude, it's like nuts. It's so loud and violent and it's like fucking terrifying. So now there's like dust everywhere. Now it's hard to see. Now it's loud. To it's like hard to hear, right? So like you're completely discombobulated. And we low crawl out of this room and I get to my rifle and it's just like, kind of like a firefighter scene where you're like, you bang down the door and you get into it and there's all the flames everywhere. And you're like, where do I go? Who do I rescue first? It was kind of like that feeling of like, what do I do now? And there's just hell breaking loose downstairs. There's guys running into our fucking doors. There's guys running into, jumping through the windows. There's guys jumping onto, trying to jump onto a rooftop. There's a grenade war, a toss war happening on the rooftop. You just just crazy shit. And um, obviously some of that information we weren't aware of until we <laughs> linked up and we heard yeah. the whole picture. And, um, you know, I, I get downstairs, you know, I'm like finding work to do. I'm a fucking young kid like everyone else, finding work to do. And uh, I see I see the first like fucking victims come out. I see like dudes missing legs, missing fucking arms, 
fucking Swiss cheese bodies, like just like bloody holding faces, just like in shock. Like, and these dudes are savages, bro. Like some of the toughest, and this is another reason why I talk about this deployment so much, like one, just traumatic. But some of the bravest men I've ever met in my life, dude, these guys didn't ask for nothing, dude. They didn't ask for shit. These guys were like four year corporals. You know, they're four-year E4s back in the hard days, right? And they didn't give a fuck about nothing but the dudes, and they did the work. The corpsmen, back in the day, dude, corpsmen only had pistols. And these corpsmen, I was part of Echo Company 2-1. That was my sniper team was attached to them. Two sniper teams attached to them. These corpsmen, bro, were fucking dropping bodies with pistols. And I don't say that to be cool. I say that because these corpsmen were fucking brave, you try to fight in an environment like that with just a fucking pistol. When <laughs> patching people up and doing that. When, when machine guns are ripping through doorways, fucking RPGs and grenades are impacting everywhere. These dudes are running around with pistols. Terrifying, right? It's absolutely terrifying. And so uh, I see all these, these, these wounded come down. They're, they're getting the work done and... Uh, it's just it's just hell. Luckily, we had a Delta medic, a Delta Force medic with us, because uh, this Delta Force team came to us. They were a sniper team. They came to us like days before all this. They're like, "Dude, we heard you guys were like getting all sorts of shit. We wanted to see if we come and help out." And that's exactly what they did, dude. They came and this was like this was like the varsity Delta team. There was a guy that killed Uday. There was a guy on the team that got uh, what's his name Saddam. Like it was like this like big league team and then you had this like young medic dude who's just a badass his name's dan and um uh dan's doing his best patch people up it's just it's fucking chaos bro and uh my my friend aaron austin was a machine gunner who befriended me he taught me how to shoot the machine gun he taught me how to do a teeny and like he taught me everything and we were the same rank and i was a super junior guy but I came into the infantry as a Lance Corporal in E3, which most people came in as a private or a private first class. So I blended in to the senior guys right off the bat and probably because I traded a pair of digital camouflage for a pair of BDUs to fully blend in because I saw what was happening to my peers. They're getting fucking their asses beat and I didn't want that to happen to me, right? So I blended into my environment. Uh, you know, I was, I was a special operator before I was ever a special operator. And so... <clears throat> And so people thought I was a senior guy. And then being on a sniper team, you, you just kind of had like more street cred, but uh, Aaron didn't care about any of that shit. He just like taught me and he was my friend. We had plenty of nights on watch, smoking cigarettes and fucking shooting with machine gun and shit. Um, well, you, I hear this like Aaron's hit. And so, and like, I was like very emotionally attached to him. I had a very personal relationship with him and I run up to the rooftop, dude, and they're like, get to the fucking roof. And dude, you're like, dude, if you go to the rooftop, you're dead. Like, you're fucking dead. Like, the chance of you dying or getting, like, manged on that roof is, like, significantly high. And you know, I go up to this rooftop, and I see Aaron. He's, like, white as shit. He's, like, the white as this light back here. And just yeah. bleeding out, man. And, um, you know, you, you can't just focus on that. We had to push the fight still. We still have grenades coming into our rooftop. We still have guys trying to, like, enter our house. We're getting shot at by a minaret, so they have the high ground advantage. Uh, it was just a very kinetic, kinetic battle. And then we get uh, we get everyone off the roof, and we started withdrawal back to our friendly lines. And so it's my radio operator, myself, and Dan, the Delta medic. We're carrying Aaron. Got an IV in him, doing our best to sustain his life. And... Um, 
we, we get them back to our compound and you still can't, we do like the Mogadishu mile back and you still can't stop and like have feelings or emotions because we're still being attacked. And um, so we're still being heavily fucking engaged. Like it is straight chaos taking place. Now that we're out of this house, it's it's just intensified because uh, more people are aggressing towards our position. Like it is, it was some of the fucking gnarliest things ever. And uh, Aaron and the rest of the guys get sent back to, we we're waiting for medical vehicles to take them back to the mech. I forget what the mech stood for is the MEK, but basically that's what like a role one facility was at where they had like the trauma surgeons. Okay. And um, we were waiting for the vehicles, but the vehicles were f are being utilized by our battalion commander, battalion sergeant major, right? Because uh, they were doing their battlefield circulation because everybody wanted to get into the ship. And out of all my deployments, yeah. it's the same story every time. It's always the, the leaders. It's always the people that are disconnected from the direct engagement that try to put themselves into a tactical environment, which then cause absolute fucking chaos and disruption to the battle spill, the battle space, and then like the fucking congruency required to operate at such a high level uh, because you're not thinking. And now you have to rely on training. You're, you have a bunch of 18-year-old and 19-year-old kids, kids, they don't know shit, know nothing, except for what they've been told. And they are doing massive amounts of critical thinking, you know, target discrimination, and employment of their weapon system. Like, that is, it sounds fun and it's easy in this day and age where there's video games and we see violence and shit all the time. But it is not easy when you're literally eating sand, you're eating debris from concrete as it's hitting your face, when you're fucking drenched in blood, when you're running low on ammunition, when the, the, it's such a target-rich environment, if you get tunnel vision longer than necessary on a particular threat, you're getting fucking eliminated by another threat. Uh, it, it's not this, oh, that's crazy. Nobody was smiling. And um, everyone's like, get those motherfuckers, right? Because like we just lost a bunch of fucking friends. And uh, when you're gazillion miles away from home and you hear a grown man say and reach out for their mother that is like the uh it's probably one of the most gut-wrenching i've heard it a few times in my military career uh my first deployment and actually my last deployment oddly enough um it's it's this weird fucking audible sound and um and then obviously to see people die you're just like what the fuck are you doing and that was my first 30 days inside Fallujah. Because, um, you know, it was about 30 days. Yeah, 45 days technically. And I had, we had six more months of that. And that was just Dude. rotation one. You know, and uh, that's the first time I ever encountered uh, battlefield, uh, what do they call them? Battlefield replacements. These guys, literally just like Band of Brothers. How, I don't know if you've seen that movie, the TV series. Yeah. You know, yeah. they don't make friends. New with, guy shows up. New guys show up. That everyone's a dickhead to them because they're going to fucking die. Yeah. Could not be further from the truth. Uh, these guys came from reserve yeah. units. These guys came from, they were getting recalled back into the Marine Corps. Boom. More around, landing on their lap. Boom. Fucking shot in the fucking head. Like, just like it was happening left and right. And you're like, and then you, that's when you become like dark and tainted inside and you hate everything and you feel this chip that's just like implanted inside you um, of like, kind of like, it's so weird how you can go from a place of like 
violence to a state of discipline <laughs> where like you come back home after enduring all that shit and being told what to do, how to cut your fucking hair, what you can and can't do. Yeah. Oh, you didn't sign the right dotted line to submit your packet or your paperwork or, hey, we fucked up your pay because we screwed up. We screwed it up. Like you go back to that work and you wonder why these dudes and girls are alcoholics how they're drug addicts, how they're abusive, how they're verbally fucking abusive, how they're mentally unstable. Like, you wonder why that happens. It's because we go from a state of psychosis to a state of normalities, and normal is even more psychotic than in battle. Yeah. But we try to put, like, structure in it. (laughs) It's the stupidest thing. It's it's wild how it works. Uh, I have nothing to compare it to that extreme level, but it's the... Fact, like everything seems to be more efficient when you're deployed, right? Like your mission focused and everything is like supporting the mission and the things that don't matter, like they just don't exist. And then all of a sudden you go home and it's all this BS and it's the thing like, oh, we have finances closed at, you know, two. And you're like, well, dude, we're, like, we're doing two weeks of like night operations and, you know, I need to get this done. And you can't get it done. And again, this is like apples to oranges in the most extreme comparison. But no, but it's true. For some reason, yeah, it's it's. It's a, it's a weird dichotomy of like, how do you go from an environment that you're operating in to like, yeah, go back and like into like in my vision, like into the Marine Corps, which is like the most squared away, like branch, like rule falling discipline that you'll get your nuts crushed. If you do something just you're yeah, you're a minute, not you're, you know, a minute late, 30 seconds well, the, late. And uh, the Marine Corps found a great way to bring that same level of fuckery overseas on deployment. <laughs> Uh, I remember coming back on my, well, one, that particular day, I'm literally like covered in blood. I, you know, I, I always show a picture on social media, like my rifle, it's an old Kodak picture, but like my rifle was like drowned in, like drenched in blood. My, I was all covered in blood. I had my sleeves rolled up and the Sergeant Major comes to me. And one of the first things he tells me is to uncuff my sleeves. You know, th- my second deployment, I'm still with the infantry. I'm a scout sniper. Uh, now I'm a team leader and we just got back from doing, uh, we're doing this whole like operation steel curtain, which is like probably the second biggest Iraq campaign to ever take place, uh, outside of Fallujah and, uh, Fallujah Ramadi then was at the same time. But then you had steel curtain, which is this crazy, like, just like fucking blitzkrieg of like, just dominating town after town, city after city. It was fucking nuts. And uh, I remember we come back from clearing, like, our third fucking city, like, violent, losing people, brutal. And I didn't have my fucking cover. And it's child time. And there's an idiot. They're generally called first sergeants. There's an idiot with a stupid haircut telling me I can't go to the chow hall because I don't have a cover. Turning away my other guys because their uniform is dirty. Now, I'm not saying be completely undisciplined where you just do whatever you want to do. No, I, I, I believe in good order and discipline. I also believe in common sense. And I also believe in like, did fucking yes. these idiots not look at pictures of our own lineage? Before high and tights were a fucking Gestapo brainwashing thing, men had real haircuts. They had more self-confidence and respect. There was more pride in the uniform. There was more pride in how one carried themselves because they were a respectable citizen of society. 
Now it's just like, nope, we're going to fucking brainwash you to the T. You're going to do everything we say. What's that? You put your hand in your pocket. Devil dog. Pockets aren't for hands. They're for looks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's just these funny things. And some guys that are just completely belt fed will be like, that's just, that guy lacks discipline. Well, maybe I did. Uh, but this is why I did not, this is why not only I excelled in the grunts, this is why I excelled in special operations because, you know, common sense is not a common virtue. And, but, you know, 100%. just like I said on that podcast, man, like, dude, uh, there is people fighting another war that I was not fighting. <laughs> they were fighting the stupid, yeah. the stupid war. And it's so crazy. And, and dude, you, you get all the support while you're deployed. And then you come home, like you said, dude. You go from 100 miles an hour to zero miles an hour, completely lethargic. People only care about the weekend and what they're going to do, how they're going to face, and what chicks are gonna, they're going to follow. And you're like, I need this. And they're like, nah, nah. Or I have to deal with civilians now who are like in charge of range control. And if you don't know what range control is, people listening to this, range control is like the most Gestapo organization that's in the United States military. <laughs> range control controls all the training facilities that do live fire and basic training. Generally speaking, these are ran by civilians who were has-beens in the military that they have yet to let it go. And they are like, it's my range. These dudes have never stepped a foot in your fucking shoes and they're telling you how to do everything beyond safety measures. And it's just like, that was always like my complaint. Like, it's just like, how does this make sense? Like, it makes sense if you have no like common sense or logic, but like once you like right. tap into that level of consciousness, you're like, this kind of smells like poo-poo. <laughs> like it doesn't, this could be yeah. done completely different. And I noticed that throughout working with all the branches, you know, being a special operations, I worked a lot of uh, joint billets also. Do the fucking Air Force, bro. God bless their souls. Air Force, I will say this, Air Force has the absolute best V-22 pilots ever, ever. The Ospreys in the Air Force, AFSOC, are supreme, they're dominant. Those pilots do not mess around. Marine Corps air aviation, mm -mm, no, not happen. Those things are fucking terrifying. The V-22s in the Marine Corps are terrifying. Our pilots aren't trained like they need to be. AFSOC, USASOC, the shit. They get all that knife power. Our, our Cobra pilots, gangster. Our fucking fixed-wing pilots, gangster. Everything else, they could be gangster. They just don't get the training they need to not be fucking dangerous. So every time, you know, we'd be like, the, the Marsoc would have this great idea, like, hey, we're going to give the Marine Corps a chance and really support the Marine Corps. And they would turn away our 160th air support, which is the, the, the SAR, right? The SAR. And we would yeah. get fucking mall, Marine Aviation, air, air, Marine, blah, Marine Air Wing. And I'm like, dude. There's those fucking 22s, man. We already had a few of them at this point. Like they would brown out and like roll over, or like the 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 crew chief is like taking his sweet ass time rolling up his comm core. I'm like, bitch, lift the ramp and let's go. Yeah. You know, you're in. We're like in the bad guy's backyard, and you're like fucking let's around, dude. This. Like I need to get my team <laughs> off this thing. One sixtieth. I don't want to die. In and out, dude. In and out. These are just gnarly gangsters, bro. And but that's like everything else, you know. When you're treated that way and you're allowed an opportunity to literally rise to your fullest potential, you'll be savage. That's why in the military, you have people who are just savages because they have people that believe in them and allow them to actually step into their true superpowers. But like for the big system as a whole, like, like you know, talk about the aviation air wing, like those guys have so many rules, bro. 
Those students went through years of training and education to get a chance to have their wings. Like, why would they throw that away? And they haven't changed in the past 20 years, so why are they gonna, how are they gonna change it now, you know? So like, that part sucks, is like when you know you're in some place that you cannot influence. But all you can influence is the people in your immediate surroundings. People are like, how do you be a leader? Well, you fucking do that by where you're standing right now. You know, it, that's, where you, that's where you have the most influence. Because you're never gonna change the system. Because, dude, people it's, might think I'm talking shit about the military. Military is savage, bro. If people knew how deadly the military was, they'd literally lose their mind. If people knew how like strategic boot camps were, they would probably have a classic lawsuit. They're so amazing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's 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 perfectly yeah. designed. No one in the history of anything can ever leave boot camp. I don't care what I've talked to every branch. I have an Air Force veteran that lives with me. I'm like, did you feel like a complete badass when you left boot camp? She's like, hell yeah. I'm like, exactly, dude, because they brainwashed you. Like, design, yeah. like, it's by design. Yeah. And so, like, you have to give mad props to that shit, dude, because it takes it takes that caliber of training and discipline and just honestly uh, uniform vision to go execute these tasks, dude. Like, you, I don't care what your job is, dude. It's all monotonous. It's all hard. It can all cost you your life. You know, there was cooks getting fucking shot at. There was motor T guys getting shot at, right? Like, you're not a free from death and destruction in the military. And you're definitely not free of prosecution no matter what your job is. So like, it's literally like you're subjecting yourself to four year sentence with limited freedoms. You can't talk about shit. You definitely can't voice your opinions. You got to shut up and do what you're yeah. told. And if you stand out against that, guess what? You can get reprimanded. But the cool thing is you can get reprimanded and paid at the same time. And the chances you really get a fire are like really not high. And so I tell people like the military is just a bunch of like felons that haven't been caught yet. You know, it's just like <laughs> you, you, you have not a lot of freedoms, but there is like a different world that exists there. And I think that's the post, like most lucrative, like what other job can you tell someone to go shut the fuck up in and not lose? You? Right. Yeah, what yeah. other job could you like, if you're literally like incompetent, could you have someone like, bro, what are you doing? And not lose your job. You might get in trouble. You might get a verbal counseling, but like, you're still going to get paid. And then past a certain rank, you have that tenure, bro. It's going to take an act of Congress yeah. to take your pay. Literally. Literally an act Literally. of Congress. And obviously, I leaned yeah. right into that. When I picked the BA, bro, first thing I did, I went to this officer that I just despised. I told him to go shove it up his ass, dude. I hated this guy. I told him to go eat a dick. And he couldn't do anything. And, and I'm like, okay. Now we can start. Now we can start actually making big moves. Actually, because before I picked the B eight, I was actually warned. Like, hey, I was selected, so I had to wait a whole year to pick up. And I was I was warned by a couple of my mentors that were my leaders, my friends, uh, my coaches, my my bosses. They're like, hey, dude, they're gunning for you, dude. Don't fuck up. And so for one year, dude, I had I just like whew, I had to be chill as a cucumber because you give them an inch, dude, they'll take a mile. And I knew. I knew what I was being called to do, what that rank was gonna allow me to do was way more important than how I felt. <laughs> it was way more important than my fucking emotions because now I'm getting an opportunity to take out multiple teams. I'm gonna get to actually train multiple people and I'm actually able to speak my mind and take care of my men and women because I knew that that shit was not a common trend. People cared about them. One of my buddies, uh, he, he was one of my buddies at the time, He's actually my boss back in the day, and then we became team chiefs. That's the enlisted guy in charge of a team, a special operations team. Uh, his team replaced my team leaving Afghanistan, and his his team leader was a was a loser, like straight fucking like 
li- like a liability, just like mine, because they were both new. They both didn't belong there. And um, that's unemotionally, that's just, that's just factual. And um, I'm like, dude, why did you say something to that guy? He's like, well, I had a fitness report to worry about. I'm like, what the fuck? You were worried about your fitness report when this guy's literally trying to get your guys yeah. fucking killed to do patrols to make daddy happy? Like, I dealt with the same thing. It's probably why I was under investigation for two and a half years. Uh, I clearly wasn't worried about my fitness report. I was worried about my fucking men's lives. And so many people want to play big boys, but they're not willing to do big boy stuff. And big boy stuff sometimes means you got to put it out there. Big boy stuff means sometimes you have to risk it all. Not be an idiot, but risk it all because it's not about you. And I think that's where people, once they pick up that certain rank, they, they forgot. They forgot what it's like to be treated like shit. Or they just accept the fact that it's supposed to be normal. Yeah, because I think it exists everywhere. I've talked about my podcast with my buddies and stuff, and I've had great bosses. I've had terrible bosses. It gets to a point, too, where you trip. Like, when I was getting out, I was like, I knew, like, the dude who was, like, the catalyst. Like, I don't want to be – I don't want to work for this guy. He's going to go off to school. I'm going to do some stuff, and I'm going to come back and be a commander. But then he's going to be my commander, you know? And you start looking like, you can impact your dudes and – try to take care of them but you're still a part of this big machine and ultimately like the machine gets a vote so one maybe you got 10 dudes up for assignment or whatever it might be you can take care of four of them the other six like sorry like there's only four good slots and there's six crappy slots and you guys are great but this is it but also it's like when you start getting to that point too you're like well now it's like my next assignment or my next job you get comfortable and you don't do what you're saying like the right thing and stand up because you i mean it takes an army to do that I think that's the struggle now. Like, I'm probably a lot of the military. I don't know. You just get to this level. I can. You, maybe it's, you just forget. I don't know what it is, but I think a lot of people it's like you just get comfortable. This is where it's at. Because in the end, like none of this stuff matters. Like OPRs, fit reps, awards. Like it's all make believe. That's what's crazy. God. It is make believe. It's all make believe. Like, while you're in the mix, it means everything to you. It's so important. You know. Yeah, it's everything. You know that's that is so crazy. I mean, people are like, oh, look at that, look at that stack. I'm like. If anything, that stack means a story now that I get to share from the men and women I got to serve with, you know, that that's what represents it. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. But, dude, you're right, man. It's literally all made up. Something that anyone can go to a PX and buy, they will give you in a ceremony. And we will, like, fucking tuck tear up. because it's what. It, but it's like anything else. It's like religion. It's like a token of appreciation. It's like any form of belief. If you put value into it, it means something to you. And what's really crazy is like when something like that means something to you, but it's so discredited and devalued because it's, it's like, you know, you dude, you're in the air force, bro. You know how this works. Motherfuckers get awards. (laughs) Green beret guys get awards left and right. Army does not fuck around with award systems. Marine Corps, you basically have to save a fucking baby and that baby had to be Jesus. Like you, you, you (laughs) have to like literally like just, it's crazy. You know, there's like green braids with six bronze stars and like, <laughs> good luck in the Marine Corps, bro. <laughs> you know, I remember on my first joint billet, I was working at the Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force in Bagram. So Afghanistan, I think it was Bagram. Yeah, Bagram. Um, and guys were get, guys and girls were getting rotated and the Air Force guy's like, oh, I don't want another DSM, like Distinguished Service Medal. I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, I already got like six of those. I'm like, it's laughable to you. 
But to like some like young buck, bro, they'll re-enlist for like 20 years. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll yeah, right, they'll yeah, yeah. fucking move a mountain for you. And so it was always funny to see like how like the perspective of those things are often. Once again, just full disclaimer, like I don't I don't hate on the military. I just don't hold back from like having my own opinions and beliefs. Man, the military brought so much value to my life and all the experiences, whether it was traumatic Same. or painful or happy or sad or just a shit sandwich molded me to who I am today. And because of all those experiences, you know, I get to help so many people out there now. So like, I have no hate against the military. I just no longer like, am like blind to like how things really work. And that's okay. And so for like people, I know people are gonna ask like, Cody, would you ever go back into the military? Fuck no. If I had to go back into the military back at 17 years old to get to where I'm at today, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I would never have changed any of that stuff. You know, and the one thing true true to me, like I have never asked for a combat. I never. You know, I didn't join because of 9-11. I didn't want to fucking join for America. I remember telling a first sergeant who did not understand I wasn't programmed. He's like, he's like, Cody, he's like, sometimes you got to do whatever it takes for that flag. I'm like, fuck that flag, bro. I'll take that flag off and piss on it, dude. Like, I've earned that right. Like, I'm not, I'm not like you. I'm not here to look the part. I am the part. And by looking the part, you, you jeopardize people in that job because this is life to some people, man. Like coming from that background, dude, people sacrifice their families to not only join the military, but especially join the especially special operations where your, your dynamics of your involvement are so high. You sacrifice so much. Because it's not just a selection. It's not just a two-year pipeline. It's six months out of a year. Every year and a half you're gone. It's the four-month course you're going to. It's the three weeks gone out here. It's the two weeks gone there. It's the five days here, the five weeks here. It all adds up. And it's something you might have signed up for, but the sacrifice it has in your relationship with your spouse, significant other, a girlfriend, you know, boyfriend, whatever the fuck you got, with yourself, like it all pays a toll. And then when we don't teach emotional intelligence, when we make you go through like a two week check on the box, how to fill out a fucking checkbook, how to write a shitty resume who no one's going to fucking hire you with, uh, and how to like get you to like apply for a job on like fucking monster.com, you know, like, but we don't teach you how to, Hey guys, this is how you address your emotions. This is, this is what you need to do if you find that you don't have the rating that you deserve from the VA. This is what you need to do if you are not getting the support you need from the medical system. We don't do any of that shit. We conveyor belt your ass in. We conveyor belt your ass out. Um, and it's a disservice, you know, because when we, when we completely repeat that process like that, we will continually have fucking amazing, brave men and women that have endured so much, combat or not, that end up taking their fucking life because for whatever reason, they feel like the hell and the burden that they're carrying inside is, is, is just too much to bear and they don't want to put that on anyone else. They've already done enough. They've already caused too much pain and friction. Like we, we must create emotionally intelligent service members while they're active duty or commissioned and then intensify that level of investment on their transition out because a, a healed veteran will transform this country. But the real truth is we already know this, bro. Like they don't want you alive. Yeah. They don't want you healthy. You cost, veterans cost tr trillions probably a year just to keep a fucking oh, life. Easy. You know, I remember being at the yeah. VA 
and they, I, my wife, uh, my wife is applying for some for some credentials, and there was a Agent Orange Vietnam veteran who was getting denied the um, uh, VA caregiver pay for his like daughter who lives with him because they didn't have the funding for that shit for Vietnam guys. And then you have the GWAT era fucking nerds who are like, I'm entitled. But that they won't fight for their 100%. People are like, you're scamming the system, Cody. Don't be telling people to get shit they don't rate. I'm like, it's like that comes from a scarcity victim, bitch. You ever hear like people like, oh, they avoided taxes. I heard something on the TV once or on the Instagram once that said the Kardashians don't pay taxes because they, they have a church and they put all their money in a church. And I just started clapping. Yeah, I'm like, right. you think it's the game. Dude, you think the lawmakers made laws to fuck themselves over? No, you're <laughs> just uneducated. You know, you're just uneducated. They're like, well, I didn't go to combat. I can't get my rating. I'm like, that's not true at all. And I'm so blessed. I have a friend who got injured in boot camp, got fucking kicked out, medically retired from boot camp. And he's a hundred percent. Now, that's a great story, but this dude's been in pain for the past fucking 15 years and has had countless surgeries. And I'm constantly getting messages from him talking about how, like, dude, I don't know if I can keep on going. I don't know if I can keep on going. Like, he is in fucking mental and physical yeah. fucking turmoil every day of his life. But because I know him, I get to tell more people, like, hey, dude, I have a friend that just got fucking injured from boot camp. You know, I have a friend that never deployed. He's 100%. They're like, well, only pogues and people that game the game. I'm like, no, only people who aren't fucking retarded. Only people who are actually, like, honest with themselves. Like, pinch, pull, or pop. Stop. Why would you keep on going? But Like, well, I don't want to take away from someone who needs it. Boom, kill themselves. I don't want to take away from someone who needs it. Boom, fucking gets another injury because they have failed to go to the 12 appointments you're getting a, a, a month or a year from the VA to get a massage or some shit like that, right? Like veterans are some yeah. of the most toxic, weak-minded people because they are bred that way. Because if you have feelings or emotions, you're weak and uh, yeah. you, or you're just like an Applebee's fucking hunter, you know, like you're just like you're part of the problem. And it's so stupid. And it's not like the institution wants you healthy. They want you dead. They want you fucking miserable. They don't want you healed. And that creates a scarcity victim mindset because then you're like, hey, just go pay out of pocket for your hormone replacement therapy. They're like, I'm not paying $400 a month. I'm like, bitch, $400 a month in 10 weeks will have you feeling better and making more money. But people don't see that. They don't see it that way. They're like, I'm not going to pay money for this shit. I'm like, dude, you just spent $300 last month on the bar or on your fucking fast food, which is clearly not working out for you. You look like a hot bag of potatoes. You know, like, it's it's so sad, man. So I hate to see it. So I trigger a lot of people. I piss off a lot of people, which I'm very grateful for uh, because <laughs> it, someone's got to do it, dude. And I'm... Yeah, you guys sort of... Pot, well, I was saying, you know, along those lines, man, it's, you know, it's like an institution. And... I think maybe the military's gotten like a little bit better on like the exit, but like the TAP program, the transition assistance program, like it's a joke. It's like a week and it's like a retired, probably E7, who's now a GS11. They're like, hey, you got to write this seven page resume, which good luck getting a job uh, doing something like that. But it's not the stuff you really need. If you really go back to, I think, like the school system. I got kids, but like they, you don't learn things you need to know. There, There is a certain percentage of the population that needs these some of these courses right because they're going to be engineers etc but the vast majority of students 
don't know how to function in society. They don't understand taxes. They don't understand the basic things that are going to get them through life 90% of each and every day. And it just like, this is like a continuation of it. Like the military exists for a reason, like go kick the door down wherever it is in the world, put a B2 over some country that's talking smack in 24 hours, send a carrier strike group cruising past your nation. Just to let people know, like we can do that, which is phenomenal. But in the end, like yeah, after 20 years of kicking down doors and blowing people up and have a lot of people with injuries, like, I don't know, the system just, it's not, it's not designed that way, but you're right. Like you exit, like, hopefully you figure it out. Good luck. You know, like hopefully you got some buddies that figured out and paved the way for you. But again, that people then go to the comfort zone or they just wallow in sorrow and deal silently. And so, and so to the whole institution, like from beginning to end is designed this way. I think. Yeah. And once again, yeah, people like, and then you have like the fucking brainwashed, like conscious hostage people. They're like, we asked for this. Like, no, I'm sorry. At, at 17, I didn't ask to like become soulless in a way. I didn't ask to like have so much fucking trauma. You know, you asked for that. You know what you're doing. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't. But I don't regret it either because I'm not fucking a victim, dude. Like all my pain, all my trauma, dude, that's mine. That's a gift. And if most people can, not even most, if people can just can, can look at their pain and turn it into a fucking purpose, they can transform their life. And in doing so, they can help other people. People act like you're going to die differently than me. You're going to be dead as fuck just like me. You're going to the same place I'm going. <laughs> Lights out. Yeah. But we act like it's different yeah. because my status or you, you, the way you drive a car, the background you have, like, no, you're going to be dead as fuck too. And so it's like, why wouldn't you... And why wouldn't we want to unite in some way by saying, no, Mike, my rights are better than yours, or my sexual preference is the right way, or my religion is the best. Like, dude, shut the fuck up. No matter what you do, you're still going to die, bro. Like, why are we fighting amongst each other when we should? It's literally like, it's it's literally Hunger Games. You know, basically the, the last one, I think she says, like, Katniss Aberdeen says, like, she's like, turn your fight, turn your fight away from each other, turn your fight towards the capital, right? Like it's the circus. But yet they have us believing that we should hate each other because you're black, you're white, you fucking like this, you believe in that thing, you fucking go to this school, you do this thing. Like it's literally the dumbest fucking thing. So here we are now in this big circle, not only in a fucking zoo in our minds, we're in a zoo of reality. We are all yep. classifying ourselves differently and like, I'm better than that person or that person here or they're, they're not paying taxes, they're naughty or they have a gun or they don't like the flag. It's just like, what a fucking weird place to be. Earth is weird, you know? So when you like it look is. at from like the, like you go to like the micro to macro, right, of it all, like you're just like, you know what? Maybe it's not that bad. <laughs> Maybe yeah, you know, I, I can change my life. <laughs> You know, it could be worse. I, it's funny. I just bumped into a buddy. Hadn't seen in a few years last week. And this is, we we're talking about, it's very similar along this path, right? But the analogy I'm still from him is like, dude, it's like someone hit a thousand beach balls in the air and everyone is focused on the beach balls, right? Then you have rage and hate and all this stuff. But like, no one's really looking about the big giant silent monster that's in the corner of the room that's just like slowly devouring the room. Everyone is just focused on the stuff that doesn't matter. And that could be your own little sphere, your world of whatever it is. Uh, and I was like, dude, that's, I think, a perfect analogy to describe 
a lot of life, especially nowadays. It seems like you know, it's. I don't, there was this one movie I saw on Netflix uh, a few months back, probably actually many months back, but it was called Don't Look Up. Have you ever heard of it? Heard, heard of it? It's no. called Don't Look it's Up. It's got Leonardo DiCaprio. It, it, basically, the whole okay. premise is, is like there's a meteor coming. It's definitely going to hit Earth, and he's trying to warn everybody, and everyone thinks it's a joke because it's a big psychological operation and they don't want to keep the, the people in the panic. And he's like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And everyone's like, oh, shut up, nerd. Until it's too late. Until it's too late. And it's just crazy because there's like an Elon, there's like an Elon Musk version in there. There's like all these things okay. that you kind of like ties into place. You're just like, we wouldn't even know if a fucking meteorite was coming here. We, would, we don't even know those exist. You're stupid if you literally believe anything that comes out of the TV. Literally anything, which is so funny because like two years ago, people were like, "Oh my god, this is so true," and then a year, like months ago, you're like, "Oh my god, it turned out to be all fucking phony," and now they're like, "What's Sorry. going on now? Oh my no, oh god, the Middle East is going crazy again." Like you're literally believing these same idiots who have like mentally abused you for fucking decades. Like it's a tell a vision. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Oh, programming is not real, Cody. It's called a patent. You should look it up. And guess who does? Guess who doesn't own the patent? You. Guess who does? Big yeah. Daddy. So it's just like, it's like, bro. <laughs> why not have fun? Why not see who you can become? Why not heal yourself if you find out that like you just have a bunch of hate and rage inside your heart? Why not go out for that job? Why not try to make where you're at right now the best place you have? Why not try to fucking just smile more? Because it's all fucked. And if you live in that state of chaos, you will breed chaos. So you're going to die, whether it's a fucking meteorite, the government, or age, or illness. But thing is, you can control your thoughts and your actions. So if you don't want to be a sorry, sad bastard, like, if you don't want to be suicidal, if you don't want to be depressed, like, man, it ain't going to be easy to reprogram yourself. But fuck, what an adventure. What an adventure. Yep. Because every human dude has gone through so many hard things in their life and they forget because they think it has to be what I've gone through or what you've gone through. But have you ever rode a bicycle? Did you ever have training wheels on your bicycle? How fucking scary was that to take off those training wheels? And you did it. But we're like, oh, it's just a bicycle. It's the same thing, dude. Fear is fear. It does not discriminate what 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 the catalyst is. Fear is fucking fear. It's an emotion. It's a low state of emotion. And when you have fear, you don't push forward. Once you overcome fear, you're like, wait a second, I can do that. And now you ride bicycles all the time. But yet we don't apply that to our own lifestyle because we're like, I'm helpless. This is painful and miserable. This is why I use social media. I'm like, guys, I've been telling you for seven fucking years. I've been on this journey and I'm not that same sorry, sad person anymore. I'm not this victim anymore. And thing is, I never was a victim. I just didn't see my own true potential because I allowed you, a government, the military, a job, a relationship, a fucking status, rate my value. And therefore I wasn't seeing my own self. So if we could do that, now I have I'm a clear level headed. I could be like, Mm-mm, that smells rotten. You know, like I could, I could start making <laughs> decisions for myself and start applying emotional intelligence and you know that's one of the main reasons why I'm, I'm really leaning into to operating and, and, and investing into our youth because parents can only do so much but here's the crazy thing about parents guys girls if you're not homeschooling you're giving away your kids for like eight hours a day to be institutionalized 
They don't even talk about the fucking Pledge of Allegiance anymore. That should alarm you. That should alarm you. This isn't a republic. It's a democratic and it's a democracy. And it's, it's a small step away from dictatorship, right? It's a small step away from communism. It's a small step away of having no true freedoms. I mean, you get censored on, on, on but it's free technology. You know, it's, it's someone's pr- preparatory information, Cody. They can censor you if they want to, like, like, but only what I say. But what they say is right. completely fine, you know, and, you know, these kids, th- your kids are being exposed to things that parents aren't as tough as you or are as strong as you. They're learning from those children and those children are being exposed to all sorts of crazy things. And now your kid is very malleable in the mind. And guess what happens when they get bullied or guess what happens when they lack confidence in themselves? It only intensifies with age. Because when they're at a young age and they stop believing in themselves or they stop knowing that a dream can become real, they begin to die off and they fall into this and they want to do whatever the TV tells them to do, drink whatever energy drinks the TV tells them to drink, eat whatever the cool cool fast food tells them to eat. And then you add 10 years to that and they're the same thing that you've always preached and swore that you would never become. And so... My purpose now is to help build back our youth, build them with confidence, help them actually see their own true worth and, and, and prepare them with emotional intelligence at a young age and help them see their perspective shifts and how they can apply that same thing to any aspect in any phase of their life to overcome that adversity and to be their best selves. But not with, but, but not with all this like unrealistic pressure like, oh, just stay straight and you'll be fine. Like, no, <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do that. You're going to have to make decisions for yourself. You know, you're going to fail. You're going to stumble. You're going to make a lot of bad moves. You're going to make some really great ones. But the thing is, can you recall them? Can you apply any form of like strategic analysis on these things? And, um, you know, so my, my target range is seven to seven to seven, 11 to 17. Uh, you know, obviously I don't want, I don't want adults classified with young kids and I'm only operating with males. Um, because it's sad, you know, you don't, you don't destroy a nation by taking out the elderly. You do destroy a nation by investing into the youth through propaganda, through programming, through, I mean, dude, everyone's a Fortnite character now, bro. Kids are wearing, kids look like slobs. Parents accept this. It's easier to give your kid a screen than it is to honestly be present with them. And it's not because you suck. Yeah. It's because guess who's programmed too? We are. Guess who's got a bunch of shit on their plate too? We do. And that's why it, it has to be a generational thing. It has to be something that we, we are conscious about because if you have no purpose in life, turn your purpose towards your children. Turn your purpose towards investing into youth. Turn your purpose in having a, a, a voice to inspire change, not to create the same outcome. That's honestly, it's, it's played out, dude. The whole like internal destruction, it's just played out. It's so, it's not even funny to watch anymore. It's just sad. Yeah. And, um, you know, I try, try to tell people, people, I, I get comments right now like, Cody, if America goes south, like, we need people like you. I'm like, bro, you, have you not seen Last of the Mohicans, bro? I ain't going to Town Square. You know what happens when you go to Town Square? Your family gets raped and pillaged and your village gets burned down. Yeah. It's not, not good. good. Not good. But they're like, Cody, America needs people like you. I'm like, no, they don't. America needs people like you. America was founded on civilians, not the military. And that comes from empowerment. 
People do not feel empowered. So my mission is to bring back, you know, invest in our youth, build back our youth and, and, and have them not only feel empowered, but know, know that they possess the key to transform anything they want to do. You know what I'm saying? And uh, your school system's not telling them that. Your school system's telling them, no, you can't go to the bathroom right now. Raise your hand. Wait till the end. No, you're going to have to accept this new propaganda that I'm going to teach you now. And I'm not here to, like, push my beliefs on kids. I'm not here to talk to them about the military or religion. That's not my place. My place is to empower themselves to be logical thinkers because they are our future. And if we do not invest into that, we are accepting the outcome determined by people in charge. The analogy of the beach balls, right? That was my kind way of saying just all the craziness that, you know, I think a lot of us see going on in the world today. My wife and I were just talking about this yesterday. And now it's more of a conversation, you know, especially with kids because of what transpires. I, I think, did, I mean, maybe it went on like when you and I were kids, but again, you didn't have access. Everyone wasn't glued to their phones. Uh, you weren't inundated with at a very easily manipulated um mechanism like a phone and advertising right like and if you talk about like the big you know monster that's slowly eating the room uh some might surmise it's another nation out there that now has this technology to be able to manipulate to be able to pump chemists into mexico and create fentanyl and the precursors and so it's like a multifaceted targeted approach when it comes to taking out america right and it's not just it's not a nuke it is you're hitting it from all angles and it's a long game too and my hope is this conversation is occurring, I feel like, more frequently. And I'm trying not to be in an echo chamber, but it needs to, and people need to be aware because I don't know. And it just it feels different now. And you don't be like the old man on the in the rocking chair on the front porch saying it was, you know, different in my day. But I do think it was a little bit different uh, 10 years ago or 20 years ago and then on. So now you have to be you have to be engaged, you have to be be more proactive. Because again, like you said, like this device, you know, sitting right here, the, giving a kid a screen and what is being pumped through that. Um, and then, you know, off to school they go. It's just, it's a continuous propaganda machine. And it can be good propaganda, bad propaganda. But, uh, you know, I tend to lead to, it's not, it's not the good propaganda. You know, but this is definitely the age of information. Bad, you know? One of my coaches, his son, they talk about like how his son loves hockey and he's always on YouTube watching a hockey film. Well, that's no different than me being a young kid re record, waking up at 4 a.m. to record the next Sniper movie on a family VHS tape. Um, if yeah. you're applying this, right? So like, yep. the, it's all, it's, everything has an equal and opposite reaction. So as much as there is bad, there's just yeah, as no. good. You know, so what if we educate our kids like, hey, you said you wanted to like really get into skiing this year. Uh, why don't you start watching some YouTube videos on skiing? That's a completely different story. I'd much rather my kid educate themselves that way than getting lost by an adult playing with dolls doing an unboxing god no and we already know subliminal messaging is we already know subliminal messaging is real we already know that mk ultra is real like these are real these these you can't even argue these things anymore so now when we see these channels that have like gazillions of followers and subscribers and they're an adult male playing with little children yeah. toys and your kids are watching them and you think that's normal but then the left, the, the other side says, but Cody, you're just a hater. Like, uh, no, I just don't believe in predators. And how many more leaks do we need uh, to have happen before we're like, wait a second. 
maybe this Cody Alford guy having this like youth development course is really smart to have it from 11 to 17 and not an 18 year old in there. Not, a, not, a, not an adult in there. Oh, this guy's onto something. I got to give credit to my wife for that one. I'm like, I didn't think about that. I'm like, there you yeah. go. You know, if you're an adult, you're going to be coaching me. I have a program for that too. But, you know, I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it real. You know, I'm, I'm going to give everything I have to these young men uh, because it will be the young men that have to step up in this life. And if we don't educate them to be healthier, guess what's going to happen to their testosterone levels? This is going to happen to their desire to want to repopulate this earth. This is what's going to happen to them to want to go pursue greatness in their own life. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then we're going to end up like the, what is it, of... I forget that movie's name. Oh man, it's like the last dude standing. He can like, he's the only dude that can like, there's like one baby left in the world. Um, like one chick is able to get pregnant or I forget what movie it is. Uh, it, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it does, it, it but, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like another one of those like um, predictive programming where it's kind of like setting the stage. You're like, ooh, that's not too far from now. Like, bitch, it is now. They're just in costumes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, they're just in a different setting because you have failed to see that it's literally just right outside your door. Um, and that's something to be scared of, man. To me, that's just like it's exciting. You know, it's just like it's just being prepared. Like, why would you ever blindly give your your family's power away to anybody? Because if you're not in control of you, who's controlling you then? My religion. Really? 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 Is that it? Is that really what's happened? Well, how does that articulate and translate to emotional intelligence, common sense, conscious thinking, right? It, it, it's, it's more. We have to turn from belief to willpower because uh, willpower is where all belief is formed and stemmed from. And if we can teach our youth to have more willpower, they're going to overcome any limiting beliefs they have. They're going to be able to push further and faster and longer than they've ever expected because they know that their mind's gonna fail them, their mind's gonna wanna quit on them, their body's gonna wanna quit on them. But if you have a big enough why, if you have enough willpower, I mean, I can tell you that's the reason why I passed all these schools and selection processes and deployments because my willpower to live or to succeed or to, to accomplish something was significantly bigger than my emotional state, which is like, I wanna quit. You know, one of my schools, I wanted to quit every day. It was so, so fucking hard, I wanted to quit every day. Every day I wanted to quit. And I voice, I verbalized it every day. I think I needed to, to like mentally prepare myself for what was going to happen that day. Uh, but I'm like, dude, I'm going to quit. I'm going to, I'm going to quit as soon as we're done. I tell myself that shit. I'm going to, I'm going to quit as soon as we're done, dude. And then I'd wait till tomorrow. Now I quit as soon as we're done. Like I had to tell myself all sorts of things to like keep on going. Cause it was physically and mentally demanding, especially when I was not a good at it at all. But that my will to like want to be that was massive. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. It'll be cool to see this come come to life, man. If um, I think it's a good note to wrap up on. I hope you'll hang around for a there or what story. But before we do that, would uh, like where, where do people find you? If people are interested in this course or in your adult course. Like where where can people find you? Where are you most prevalent? So uh, Instagram is probably the easiest way to find me. It's the T-H-E, the Cody Alford. There's no spaces, no dots spelled out exactly like that, the Cody Alford. And you can find my course and my my adult mentorship program all at r3trainingsolutions.com. Uh, my youth development course is there. Or if you head to my Instagram at the Cody Alford, my link in my bio has it there as well. Um, and that started the first class, January 2nd. And this is going to, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about it. 
That's cool, man. America needs Dude, it. I'm so, so pumped. Uh, again, it was awesome being able to chat with you. Uh, again, seeing you on the Sean Ryan show, watching that podcast with him, and then being able to hear some of the stories again from you. Like, I think just the mentality, obviously, you carry forward. Um, it, it's, it's spot on, man. It's inspiring to me. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, bro. Thanks for having me. This is great. Absolutely. Bye. Cheers. Bye.